Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank goodness it is Friday, April 26th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. What are you doing? Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown. Where are the t-shirts? With Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein, Grundy County activist and friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Heidi Henry will join us. And it's the long-awaited return of Sergio Mims, director of the Black Harvest Film Festival. And now your host, the long-awaited return of Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Decisions, Decisions, Decisions Friday. And here's why. Focus, Ben. Focus. Focus, Ben. Focus. With Joe Biden, affectionately known around here as Grandpa Joe, in the race, it seems as though the 2020 race for Democratic presidential nomination has officially begun, as Phil George F. might say, and they're off. Anyway, Phil George F. was the racetrack announcer at Arlington. Anyway, focus, focus, Ben, focus. Please. The Iowa caucus is just nine, count them down, nine months away, everybody. Biden's entrance is forcing me to consider age-old issues about what Ram Abilabalam yesterday called a viability. In other words, electability. In other words, forget the positions that the candidates have on the issues of the day, or even if they have taken positions on the issues of the day, what matters most is who is best suited to defeat Donald Trump. In that regards, Biden is seen as many as the most electable, who has the best chance because he's avuncular, grandfatherly, he's a familiar, friendly face, he's been around forever, he was Barack Obama's vice president, he must be okay with Barack Obama's vice president. And yet, Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of many issues that matter a lot to Democratic voters many, many times over the years. Late last night, for instance, I got a message in the mail from an activist of millennial persuasion who sent me footage of a speech Biden gave on the Senate floor in favor of a bill by Bill Clinton, the Bill Clinton's crime bill. And there was Joe Biden bellowing from the floor against the liberals in his party for being weak on crime. He was calling for mandatory sentences for defendants, saying we had to protect our wives and daughters and sisters, et cetera, et cetera, sounding very much like a certain Donald Trump. 25 years later, we're now realizing that the rigid mandatory prison sentences were largely a mistake, especially in conjunction with the war on drugs. They robbed so many people of their best years of their lives by blocking them away in prison at enormous expense, not just to the people, not just to the families, not just to the communities they come from, but for society as a whole. 
So are we supposed to forget all that? In the rush to nominate the most familiar face we have, the familiar face that conventional wisdom says has the best chance of defeating Trump? Conventional wisdom also said Hillary had the best chance to defeat Donald Trump in 2016. That didn't work out so well. Decisions, decisions. Meanwhile, the Iowa caucus is just nine months away. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. Uh, every Friday, Ramana comes in. It's the Ramana Rundown. T-shirt's at the door, right, D? The T-shirt's no. here. No. Oh, Come on, sometimes wear those T-shirts. Anyway, I love having a conversation with Ramana Hussein about all the issues of the day. Heidi Henry will be here, Democratic activist from Grundy County, talking about the viability issues out uh, in Trump land. See what she has to say about uh, Joe Biden's entrance in the race. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Sergio Mims, the uh, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival. In my humble opinion, the best film festival in the city of Chicago. Sergio has an opinion on absolutely everything. So you can expect lots of talk on Biden and Rom and Kim Fox and Jesse Smollett and movies and Bernie and so much, much more. But before we get to any of that, it's time for the national news with the doctor. Seriously, guys, a Ramana t-shirt, <laughs> Tom McNamee hat. Yeah. Got to get on the Sun Times. Oh, yeah. Hey, we want a Tommy Mac hat, right? Yeah. Tommy Mac attack. We're looking for the Tommy Mac hat. All right, everybody. It's the middle of the final day of the week. Bring it weekend. Mm-hmm. And like we always do about this time, let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. As our president hangs with the NRA today in Indianapolis. Yeah, he gave a speech there. And we have shut down the previous administration's massive abuse of power known as Operation Choke Point. Under this ill-advised program, government bureaucrats discouraged banks from making loans to gun retailers. A backdoor attack on private gun ownership that will never be allowed to happen on my watch. That's step one, folks. Step one. You know what step two, three, and four is? Step four is you don't have guns. You don't have any way to protect yourself. Oh, my God. Today, I'm proud to announce another historic step to protect your Second Amendment rights. And I didn't tell Chris and Wayne and Oliver. I didn't even tell them about it. So they're listening in this big room someplace. And they're saying, I wonder what he's going to do. (laughs) Oh, my God. The good thing with me, you never know. Yeah. Never know. Boy, what a douchebag. <laughs> he is something. I t- I'll tell you one thing we know about you, Donald. Uh, you will curry favor with that uh, we love guns crowd. That's what you're going to do. We know you're not. Oh, you know what would be really great if you got up there and said, you know, folks, I think we've carried this Second Amendment rhetoric too far when people are killing each other all the time uh, in the streets of Chicago, big cities, small towns, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we've gone too far. How about that? Wouldn't that be interesting? No, we know what you're going to do, uh, Donald. You're going to curry favor uh, to the... Uh, the we love guns crowd and use that uh to sort of you know cloak uh any attention being paid to the other stuff that you're doing the really danger all, all kinds of dangerous stuff you're doing uh like uh, you know tax breaks for the well-to-do that maybe hurt some of the people and that we love guns crowd so we know what you're up to donald so while he hangs out with those nra weirdos our contenders looking to duke it out with donald in the general election are in campaign mode beto o'rourke is in nevada Cory Booker, South Carolina, Elizabeth Warren, Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang, and Eric Swalwell are in Iowa. John Hickenlooper and Seth Moulton are in California, and Kirsten Gillibrand will be in New Hampshire. And after yesterday's top story nationally, 
Our 2020 Democratic POTUS hopefuls are in overdrive with their campaigns because the man who said he'd once, uh, well, he'd like uh, to duke it out with Donald in a back alley, former <laughs> Vice President Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden, yes, finally announced his candidacy for president. Oh, boy, and what a hip guy he is. He did it with an online social media video. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Oh, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. He's a hip one. Yeah, he's a hipster. You know? Hipster Joe. But there is one issue, though, that mm -hmm. Mr. Biden cannot seem to get behind him here. Yeah. And surprisingly, I'm not talking about his awkward personal space issues. It seems like uh, we got over that one pretty quick, actually. No, it's the confirmation process of Judge Clarence Thomas back in 1991 and the testimony from Anita Hill. Ben, for those who may not know, give us the details here. What went down and what role did Biden play in all this? Well, uh, Biden was the chairman of the Ju Judiciary Committee. In those days, the Democrats had a majority in the Senate. He was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And the Judiciary Committee, as everybody knows, as everybody's learned from the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, uh, is the committee in the Senate that uh, reviews the qualifications of a Supreme Court justice and then votes on whether to recommend that the full Senate approve or not approve. Uh, Clarence Thomas was uh, George Bush's replacement for Thurgood Marshall, and Thurgood Marshall was one of the great champions of civil rights law in the United States. Clarence Thomas was an advocate against many of the rulings and initiatives that uh, Thurgood Marshall stood for, so it was really an insult to the legacy of Thurgood Marshall. It was an insult uh, to the legacy of all the great civil rights lawyers who went to court to battle for the equal rights of black people in this country, that George Bush would put Clarence Thomas up for that. So in that reason alone, I think Clarence Thomas should have been uh, defeated. Uh, but uh, anyway, in the middle of the uh, the hearing, word broke, uh, word leaked that uh, Anita Hill, a former uh, uh, aide to Clarence Thomas, uh, had accused him of uh, sexual harassment. Uh, and in a similar situation to what went down with Brett Kavanaugh in the last minute, uh, she was ushered in to give testimony. I watched that testimony. The country was riveted by that testimony. I know, you, uh, D, you were probably way too young to remember it. Uh, but it was pretty obvious uh, to many people, most people, I don't even know if most people, it was pretty obvious that the it was stacked against Anita Hill. And Joe Biden, as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, had a big role in that. Again, uh, she was being advanced by, jo uh, excuse me, Clarence Thomas was being advanced by George Bush. Joe Biden was always rolling over to show that he was fair and that he was uh, even-handed in a way that you will not see any uh, Republican do, by the way, right now in this day and age. And in trying to be uh, too fair, in my humble opinion, to Clarence Thomas, he set it up so that Anita Hill was undercut. So, for instance, uh, he didn't call additional witnesses who might have testified that Clarence Thomas had been up to no good as well to sort of substantiate her uh, allegations. She, he, he set up a climate in which she uh, was portrayed. Uh, he was, uh, Clarence Thomas was portrayed as a victim, and uh, Anita Hill was unfairly portrayed as sort of this vindictive woman who was out to get him. Uh, Clarence Thomas was eventually uh, approved, and he's been on the Supreme Court ever since, where he is one of the most reliable conservative votes, undermining everything Thurgood Marshall stood for. So it's a travesty on so many levels. And it's like I said earlier, D, are Democratic voters just as f supposed to forget all this when we get to the primary and just, you know, view him as a nice guy, an avuncular guy? Uh, so this is a very important issue for Democrats to face. How much of Joe Biden's past uh, matters to them? 
as they consider who they want to represent their party in the race against Donald Trump. So there you go, guys. We're all caught up. By the way, that gentleman you just saw walk into the uh, camera there, that's Editor Miles. Wave to the camera, Miles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Editor Miles. He yeah, can... we're on TV yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, we're on there. He wasn't here yesterday. He wasn't Big here news. Yet. I know. You yeah. look good. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, hey, he gets the guest. There you go, dude. That's my badge. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Editor Miles. A lot of responsibility and duties when you're the editor of this show. On Thursday, Biden reached out to Anita Hill over the phone and shared with Miss Hill his regret for what she endured 28 years ago. But in an interview after their conversation, Hill says the call from Mr. Biden left her feeling deeply unsatisfied. She declined to characterize Mr. Biden's words to her as, as an apology and said she was not convinced that he has taken full responsibility for his conduct at the hearings or for the harm he caused over victims of sexual harassment and gender violence. Joe Biden was a guest on what I've heard is uh, one of Ben Jarofsky, uh, <laughs> one of his favorite daily programs, <laughs> The View. I do like The View. I haven't watched it. Big Whoopi fan. Uh, yeah, I love Whoopi. Lo- love Whoopi Goldberg. The View uh, pressed Biden about Anita Hill. Here is Grandpa Joe with his response. Knowing you, um, you know, for as long as I have, I, I don't know why it took you so long to call her. I wish it had happened earlier. Well, I, 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 I tell you what the deal was. I, I did not, um, since I had publicly apologized for the way she was treated, I had publicly said it, I publicly had given for out credit for her, what, the, the contribution she made to change, begin to change this culture in a significant way, that um, what, what I didn't want to do, and, and I, mean, I, I didn't want to, quote, invade her space. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get in the situation where this became, and then I, when, when I heard all this about the, and it was legitimate, expecting a call why, every time the phone rang, why we, and so I, I, I spoke to some uh, leading women advocates in this area, who, someone knew her, and I said, could you, see whether she'd take my call. Yeah. And I was grateful she took my call. You know, I think what she wants you to say is, I'm sorry for the way I treated you, not for the way you were treated. I think that would be closer. Well, but but, um, I'm sorry the way she got treated. In terms of, I never heard say, if you go back and look what I said and didn't say, I, I, I don't think I treated her badly. I took on her opposition, what I couldn't figure out how to do. And we still haven't figured it out. Yeah. How do you stop people from asking inflammatory questions? How do you stop these character assassinations outside? There was a full-blown attack on her in order to try to get um, uh, the defense, quote-unquote, for uh, Clarence Thomas. And, uh, and I am, I, 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 no woman or any victim of harassment should ever be put through that circumstance. Mm-hmm in public hearing yeah and uh and so look if you notice we're all still looking for how do you change the process of having the hearing do you do you do it in camera do you do it uh, you know and uh, one of the things i yeah all right first of all so much to unpack there but that one line uh, it's particularly ironic, D, where he said uh, he didn't call her because he didn't want to, quote, invade her space. And as you just alluded to a little while ago, uh, he was most t- the headlines about uh, Joe Biden from a couple of weeks ago, which everybody seems to have forgotten, is he had this habit of literally invading people's space. He would like inappropriately touch people, kiss people, pat their backs, what have you. So uh, it's interesting. You know, he was very cautious about invading her space. Uh, I, 
I my my guess of it is in reality is that um, Joe Biden uh, probably never thought that the way he treated Anita Hill would uh, be an issue in his life. And now that he wants to be president of the United States, it's very much an issue that he has to deal with. And so he does the phone call. And that puts Anita Hill in a rough situation. So he's now publicly stated he called her. Now, she the pressure on her is to forgive him. You know, and she probably has a lot of issues uh, remaining about how she was treated in 1991. And again, the issue is, it's very much about uh, how Joe Biden ran those hearings in regards to the fact that he didn't allow other witnesses to testify. Now, if he says, listen, these are late moment um, emergences of witnesses who, uh, you know, we didn't have enough time to consider it. I don't know. He could try that argument. But, um, you know, it's it's like I said before, it's a very difficult decision that uh, Democratic voters are going to have to make. Does any of this matter in the 2019? This is could be viewed as ancient history. Uh, we're dealing with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a greater threat to women's rights uh, than um, Joe Biden is right now. The way they view the law. So this is a uh, this is a this is part of the the struggle that Democratic voters are going to have as they decide who they think is the best candidate uh, to represent them against uh, uh, Donald Trump. I'm going to ask Ramana Hussein about this when she comes in in a little while. So Ben, yes or no? Simple uh, question here: Will Joe Biden power through this, and will he remain one of the top uh, contenders? Yes, he will be a top contender. But will he be the nominee? I do not know. All right. Well, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Benny J, for mm-hmm. the fourth and final time this week. Yes, sir. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. Never a bad answer, especially at this time, because coming up after this brand new commercial here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, we're going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait. It's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. At Chicago and Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, yes, we are indeed live. And the camera films it all. Looking very good. What a dapper bunch in this group. Hey, we're okay. Miles uh, is the best-looking one. Whatever. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's time for the local news. What you got for me, young man? Absolutely. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Well, she's mentioned quite a bit on our program. We frequently reference her articles in Ben's beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. And we even gave her a pretty corny nickname. 
She's Fran the Woe Man Spielman. She's the top political reporter here at the Sun-Times. And it's almost been as if she knew it was sort of a slow news day here in Chicago because this morning on the Fran Spielman Show, chicago.suntimes.com, go check it out if you haven't yet, Fran sat down and chatted one-on-one with Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And thanks to the smartest man in the Chicago Sun-Times building, behind-the-scenes tech genius Brian Ernst. (laughs) Brian's the man. What's up, Brian? Ladies and gentlemen, we have the audio. (laughs) We're just going to hit play, and Ben will weigh in. Wow. That's all we're going to do. Oh, my God. Yes, a Fran Spielman show sneak peek here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. But first... We have a follow-up on that transition memo written to Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot from Chicago Blackhawks owner Rocky Wirtz. In case you weren't aware, yeah, Chicago Blackhawks owner Rocky Wirtz wrote a transition memo to Chicago Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot, and in that letter, oh boy, she just ripped Mayor, or he just ripped Mayor (laughs) on. Ben, you're a big fan of the story. Why don't you tell us uh, what the memo was all about? Yeah, the memo. I, I did. We I riffed on this a couple days ago, I want to say. Uh, somehow or other, the Sun-Times got this memo. Why don't I ever get these memos? Huh? Nobody ever sends them to me. Dump them on my uh, doorstep. Anyway, they got the memo. They published the memo from Rocky Wirtz, and Rocky Wirtz assaulted and assailed Mayor Rahm. And essentially, uh, the, the, the key criticism is that the mayor is not open or transparent about how he deals with business people. And so when he has something like a controversial proposal, like a revenue tax that Rocky Works uh, very much opposed. Uh, it's as though he, he the mayor won't come clean as to exactly what he wants to use the money for, what he thinks the impact will be. Uh, he's not, uh, Wirtz said, upfront and honest and direct about you know how it will hurt uh, consumers, et cetera, et cetera. He just uh, sort of manufactures arguments and twists arms and tries to get it through. So that was uh, Rocky Wirtz's complaint again about Rahm Emanuel, and he was urging that Lori Lightfoot be a little more honest and transparent about what she's up to when dealing with the business community. So that was a couple of days ago. Here we are today, Friday, April 26th. And Mayor Rahm has responded. Yes. Uh, he went on the Crane's uh, Chicago Business Magazine. Rahm uh, has, let me wait in here. I have the, uh, not the audio, but I have quotes. I know you wanted some audio, but I do have quotes. Let's read the quotes from Crane's article. It's titled, Rahm to Rocky, Welcome <laughs> to Capitalism. Rahm says, quote, for those who have become accustomed to the rules or of the road of crony capitalism and have had sweetheart deals and special arrangements no one else receives, it is tough when you are forced to play by the same rules as everyone else, the mayor writes in a Crane's column. While I am certainly not against using public investments in infrastructure as a catalyst for economic growth, I believe we must draw the line at outright corporate welfare. It is because we have invested in our economic fundamentals, not because of crony capitalism, <laughs> that Chicago. Oh, you think that's funny? Yes. Chicago has led Coming the country. Yes. Chicago has led the country in corporate relocations oh and foreign direct investment every year for the last six years. A first for the city of Chicago. Ben, I know you're just dying to get in here, so go ahead. Well, you know, it's so. First of all, I welcome Rom uh, to the crusade and cause of fighting crony capitalism when insiders use their uh, uh, their inside connection connections to uh, get money from the government that they probably don't need and everybody's going to have to pay for and we can't afford and there's better uh, things to spend the money on. So better late than never in terms of Rom joining that cause. Uh, It's interesting how uh, he is in favor of some crony capitalism 
but against others. And I would say Exhibit A would be the recent crony capitalism uh, exhibited in uh, the $2.3 billion handout to developers who want to build uh, the 78 on the near south side of Chicago and Lincoln Yards on the near north side of Chicago. We've talked about this a lot. We'll be talking about this going down the road, folks, because you're going to be paying for this. So the argument there is, do these developers need that money to build that project? And and if they don't, uh, if they do desperately need that money, are those projects worth the investment? Uh, and that's a question that's never asked, much less answered. So Rom says, oh, it's crony capitalism when I'm against a handout, but it's economic investment when I'm for a handout. So I just wish uh, Ron was a little more consistent uh, in how he threw the money around uh, to people who had contacts. So, yes, interesting choice of definitions. Crony capitalism, when he is it mad at the guy? Economic development, when they're all pals. Yes, it's Ron's latest article in Crane's Chicago Business Magazine, channeling his inner Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> A writer. Speaking of, Ben, you have a column out on the Chicago Reader right yes, now. I do. Uh, go ahead and tell everybody about that. Well, this one has to do with Alderman and Prerogative. We've been talking about this. Uh, yesterday I had a debate with, uh, what well, was the debate? Because young Tom McNamee agreed with me. Tommy Mac. Uh, and then I had a debate. No, Maya Dukmasova agreed with me on this one. Uh, but uh, the whole issue is that Lori Lightfoot uh, and Joe Ferguson, the Inspector General, decided they're going to get rid of Alderman and Prerogative. And my point is, uh, we don't really have have aldermanic prerogative in the city of Chicago. We have mayoral prerogative, and uh, so mayors let aldermen uh, get away with uh, zoning or in their ward, what have you, uh, when the when the uh, mayor has no uh, dog in the fight, if you will. So uh, it's kind of a fraudulent issue that's being used to what I don't know, take more power from the city council and give it to the mayor. Not quite sure what the end game is, but come on, people in the city of Chicago. Too smart to fall for it. After May 20th, he will no longer be the mayor. Who knows? He may have a weekly article in the Chicago Reader, just like Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> hey, Who, knows? Be a, Who knows? Well, he'll be a, a, a weekly guest uh, on this show. Right. By the way, Heidi Henry has entered the room. Heidi Henry has entered the room. Love it when my guests come early. Uh, and uh, she'll have a seat right there. Man, she's really early. I like that. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, hey, Rom, right over there, that chair there, you come in, uh, you know, once a month or so, and we can chat about politics. All right, everybody, go check out Ben's latest article if you've yet to do so. It's over on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and Twitter page at Benny J Show. Ben, spell that last name for him J O R A V as in victory, S K Y. All right, people, without further ado, Rom was this week's guest on the Franz Spielman Show. The show should be released shortly on the Sun-Times website. And right now, a Ben Jarofsky show exclusive. We got a sneak preview of Fran Spielman's interview with Mayor Rahm Emanuel. That's what happens when you share the same building with Fran Spielman. You know what I mean? That is correct. We got the sneak preview. Now, we've not heard this at all. So we're just winging this. We're We're just going to push the button. We're buddy. Ben, I have the audio from the whole thing. We obviously won't get through it all because I'm sure you'll want to rant and rave like a (laughs) lunatic about it. Uh, Hopefully. That's kind of what you're known for. Uh, We'll start from the beginning. I'll just hit pause when you want to weigh in, okay? Uh, All right. uh, Here we go. what uh just push the button and see where we go yeah we just push the button here all right so let me uh make sure i get it here i got it in an email from brian shout out to brian once again uh the brains in this operation yeah, here in the look at the brain on brian look at the brain yeah. on brian all right here we go let's hear cue the awesome france spielman intro hi 
Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. Hey. And with me is Mayor Rahm Emanuel for the final time as Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Although I hope but I'll you come always back. be Rahm Emanuel. I hope you come back at some point as a private citizen. That's actually not a bad so, line. You were late because you're with the CSO trying to settle the Chicago Symphony strike. Will we have music? Well, <laughs> you and I are them. <laughs> I think right, before Rahm answers. <laughs> Before Rob answers, let everybody know CSO. I did see a Chicago Symphony Orchestra. By the way, Ramana Hussein has entered the building. Ramana Hussein has entered the building, and I'm asking Ramana to put her headphones on so she can hear this interview this bit, because I'd love to get Ramana's thoughts on this, uh, the Ramana Rundown every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. And uh, wear those T-shirts, Ramana. We're supposed to have some T-shirts, huh? Wear those Ramana Hussein T-shirts. All right. They're in the mail, huh? All right. Anyway, so, uh, Ramana, just so you know, this is Rom. Mayor Rahm, uh, as a guest on the Franz Spielman Show, exclusive breaking news. Here we go. Okay, he was talking about the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, who's on strike, right? That is correct, for okay. seven weeks. All right, here we go. Here's what I would say, uh, Fran, is, uh, first of all, it's the first meeting for me with them. Uh, we had, I think, one you can pick up immediately. I think both parties would like to have the rest of the season and what they can recoup of the season. Um, I think there's an interest in seeing that happen. I think that um, obviously over a period of time there's both somewhat exhaustion, you know, and so uh, all the feelings that come around with being at this for a year but intensely for the last seven weeks. Um, the, what you can pick up is that there's an, a desire and a will to try to find a resolution. Um, obviously, I'm here. They're still over at my office. I uh, told everybody, just let me know what you want, metaphorically. What like, do you like for lunch and dinner? Because we're gonna and breakfast, right even if that's what it takes. But I do think um, I don't want to have any false expectations that just because they sat down and got called, so quote unquote, and I'm using this again jokingly to the principal's office. I think both are desirous that they needed somebody outside. There has been a federal mediator there to try to find a resolution, and I think there's a desire to do that, and we're going to try to find where points of opportunity exist. All right, okay, there we go. Uh, that's Mayor Rahm talking to Fran Spielman about intervening in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra strike. Uh, Romana Hussein just heard that bit. Uh, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. On one hand, I applaud Mayor Rahm. I'm gonna say something nice about Mayor Rahm. Romana, you're always urging me to be nicer to Mayor. Be nicer to Mayor Rahm. Or since I come to the Sun-Times, Tom McNamee, be nicer to Mayor Rahm. So I'm gonna say something nice about Mayor Rahm. I'm glad he got involved, you know. I'm, I'm gonna point out it's been going on for seven weeks. We could have used a little intervention at the start, but you know, I'm, I'm being nice to Mayor Rahm, okay? Uh, there's just this skeptical part of me, Romana, and please, to help me eradicate and deal with the cynicism and the skepticism of guys been watching Chicago politics for a long time that thinks Mayor Rahm's involvement is probably linked to the fact that they're close to uh, settling the strike, and so he's getting involved at the moment where he could claim victory for right something that would have happened. Right before he leaves office, yeah, and that... except he could claim that he was responsible for something that would have happened even if he didn't get involved in the first place. Am I being too unfair to Mayor Rahm Romano? I think I think in this case you're not being unfair. Uh, I, I know yesterday, I know I shouldn't say this, but yesterday at, at our news meeting, someone we, we you know the story about him getting involved. And someone said, isn't he going to make things worse? <laughs> oh, <laughs> those gonna, cynical I'm, sometimes editors. I'm, I'm not going to quote who said it, but uh, somebody was jokingly said that. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think it's I, I think it's fair to say, like, why is he interviewing now after all these weeks? It has been seven weeks. That's seven two months, weeks. Yeah. Two, almost two months. 
No, I think I think you're fair to be cynical on this. So, but you're trying to be nice, so that's good. I, I'm trying to be nice uh, and cynical as uh, Rom uh, heads out there. By the way, uh, before we go any further, did you see Rom? He was in the building. Did you bump? You know him? what? I actually saw Fran Spielman come in. So, and then I saw on our budget for the for the next day for the stories for the next day, I saw that Fran was going to be interviewing him. I didn't see him. So, I you know they probably took him. There's a big green room yes. on the other side. I, I think maybe Fran went to that or a different office. But. I see. We should get a green room for our show, D. Oh, we need a lot of things for our show. <laughs> uh, like T-shirts for Ramana. Anyway, are we uh, well, let's done? Let's do one more. One uh, more? All right, one more bit one from more uh, Fran. If you uh, just tuned in, we're playing a little sneak peek of the Fran Spielman show. Could be, uh, you can catch it later today at the Chicago Sun-Times website. She sat down with Rahm Emanuel. Why did you see fit to get involved this time when mm-hmm. you haven't in the past? I mean, Richard J. used to do this all the time. Richard J. Daly, he would call the two sides in and say, Stay here. You're not mm-hmm. leaving until you have a settlement. Uh, a couple things. One is uh, uh, the both the musicians and the symphony are important to Chicago. They have been at it, as they said, for a year themselves, uh, seven weeks since the strike. And I do know from my own experiences, you know, we've done 40 plus, whatever, never going to arbitration. That sometimes you forget how far you've journeyed together. And, how, uh, and also times, sometimes you can't hear each other. And there were things without defying the confidence. I don't want to do that uh, because I think if I'm going to be have some role, I don't want to feel like I've defied the confidence of the room. Uh, being able to hear for the first time what somebody has repeatedly said can give you a, a, a maybe hit the reset and a fresh start. So that's why I decided. And these are great artists and musicians. Uh, who make a tremendous contribution. The symphony is a tremendous contribution. And then the biggest thing to me, you know, besides you have the artists and those who attend, you have all the waiters and waitresses around the restaurants that are dependent on a successful symphony. You have the stagehands who aren't artists, but they make the show work. These people's livelihoods are too also affected. And so I feel some obligation for all the other people ancillary that whose livelihood and families are dependent on this, that if we can bring this, it's not just to have, uh, let's have the show again, as I say that as a former dancer. The show but, must go yeah, on. Yeah, but you have so, so many other people who... Uh, okay, he's right, a talker. All right. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we were just playing uh, the, the Fran show, so uh, that was a follow-up question uh, that she asked. Uh, to Mayor Rahm and my instinctive reaction. And again, I've been accused by many people of being unfair to Rahm, so I'm going to be really <laughs> trying to curb that. Is when I hear Rahm Emanuel um, saying that he's really getting involved to help the little people of, of Chicago, you know, I, I have a hard time with that, uh, Ramana. And because, uh, again, if he really was concerned about the little people of Chicago, he would have gotten involved in this thing before it was seven weeks uh, into uh, the strike. Uh, you know, the little people of Chicago, the ancillary people, you know, like the little ants that are feeding off this carcass of the CSO or whatever the metaphor is, have been affected by this strike for seven weeks. So I, he, I, he talked about the waiters and waitresses. Yeah. I haven't been to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in a long time. Do they have waiters <laughs> and waitresses? I mean, maybe he's talking about the people behind the concession stands. I actually, we... My husband, Mick, and I had a show uh, that was canceled, but it wasn't a CSO show. I mean, it was like a musician at the CSO, but we were supposed to go to a show last week and it was canceled. Zakir Hussein, who's a percussionist, 
he plays a tabla, which is Indian um, instrument. But I wasn't the one who got the tickets. Mick did. Mick got so the tickets. I told him I listened to this music. I've been growing up listening to this music. But he really wanted to go. And we thought it wouldn't get canceled because we were like, oh, he's not part of the CSO. But, it, you know, he got notification like a day or two before that it was canceled. So, I don't know. I haven't been in a while, long time. So, he mentions the waiter and waitresses. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm again, uh, doing uh, translating Ram for the masses. That's my job. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that when he says waiter and waitresses, he's talking about a, a, yeah. the restaurants in the area. So, people go to a concert. Yeah. And they then go they go to, to a restaurant. Uh, anyway. So, he's looking out for those waiters and waitresses. Uh, so, that's really nice of you, Ram, looking out for the way. He had to be dragged kicking and screaming uh, the per- first part of his year into raising the minimum wage. But you know what? It's never too late to look out for the little people. Isn't that right, Romana? No, it isn't too late. You can always do it right before you leave office. So Yeah, right before you leave. Let's, let's see what happens. All right. And on another ROM-related front, uh, speaking of your husband, uh, Mick Dumkey, a dear friend of mine, uh, Mick and I were really going on and on about ROMs. The Atlantic The Atlantic article, article uh, in which ROM uh, gave some advice uh, to journalists, uh, I think I talked about this already on the show, didn't I? It was uh, regarding about his extolling the virtues of Mayor Pete from South Bend, uh, and then he was saying that journalists should ask better questions. <laughs> so, what's your thought about? I thought as a you journal- said that he didn't write these articles. Uh, well, you know, that <laughs> you think that he wrote this one? I do not know. That is a great question. Uh, Can I tell you why I think he didn't write it? Go ahead. Because he mentioned queer eye for the straight guy. I don't think any straight guys know what that show is. So I, when he mentioned that, he's like, "What? What does somebody gonna do next?" Ask him at. So how is his name pronounced? Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. But, Buttigieg. So he Buttigieg. said. Buttigieg. Or, or as we know him in the show, uh, Pete Shaker Buttigieg. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. When I, it's, I, I read it really quick. I probably didn't. Study. I, didn't, like I probably I did. study like you and Nick did. I probably didn't dissect it. Yeah. But when I saw the queer eye for the straight guy, I'm like, does he even know what that show is? But I, I could be totally wrong. All right, now he in the past, so the, you think that he did write this? Well, I do not know. I uh, in the past, I've been very skeptical uh, about Mayor Rahm and his essay writing. We, uh, <laughs> I remember the one he did about a year ago for the New York Times, where he um, was extolling the virtues of Chicago's public transportation system and giving advice to New York on how they can improve their. Uh, public transportation system and it happened like I think the same week that the uh, subway motorists uh, voted uh, to uh, potentially go on strike so mm-hmm. you know he didn't mention that in the story anyway I was very skeptical that as a very busy mayor uh, who was making deals and you know making the trains go on time whatever had the time to write an essay plus he's always talking about all the books he reads so how can he read all these books and write an essay but now you know he's coming to the end of so you think he did write this one? I, I'm getting, you know what? I'm trying to be as nice as I can to Mayor Rahm. Tom McNamee said I got to be nice to Mayor Rahm. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm open to the idea that he may have written it. Because he was criticizing the journalists. The, the real I issue mean, is, did he read it? If he didn't write it, did he at least read it before it went I, out? I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, like, him giving advice to journalists was pretty interesting. Well, you know, I mean, journalists ask him tough questions all the time. So, in your opinion, when you th- and you 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 um, you didn't cover City Hall, I uh, did actually for a short period under Rom. No, not oh. under Rom. Under uh, Richard M. Daly as a city as a city news reporter. Gotcha. Well, uh, but but you you talk to journalists all the time. You edit journalists all the time. You hear their complaints. Uh, how would what kind of grade would you give Rom in terms of transparency? Uh, oh, I don't. Mayor, mayor of the city of Chicago. 
I don't know, maybe a C? Wow, that's pretty good. Oh, oh we drops get F? amazing. I'm, well, I said I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be nice. Yeah, you know. I mean, most of these politicians aren't there that, this, that transparent, even the ones who are pretty popular. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being too nice. I think you, you are. And you, you've dissected him more than I have, <laughs> as I mentioned. Well, you know, I also believe, I'm a believer in social promotion, and that's the... So that's why maybe I'm... Yeah, yeah I think you do believe in so. You know what? You're, you're like a teacher who's seen a kid uh, flunk twice. It's time to get him out of the classroom. <laughs> Let's just give him the C and <laughs> see you later, alligator. I know most people would probably say D or F. Yeah, no, he. Uh, I would give. I think uh, D was a ge- D would be a generous grade as well. A transparency. You know, he, I mean, just as a classic example, uh, we're we're even doubting that he, he, the 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 validity of what he says about the Chicago getting involved with the symphony orchestra. This that doubt that every journalist has uh, regarding Rahm Emanuel. So um, uh, anyway, all right, we'll move on from Rahm and talk about uh, the other big story. Uh, as I always mention, when Ramada was in the studio, she was a criminal court reporter for many years over at 26 in California. She knows a thing or two about criminal justice as it's applied in Cook County. And the Jesse Smollett, Kim Fox um, situation is not going to end anytime soon. So just no. give us some of the updates. I mean, uh, this past week we've had a couple. They aren't really huge, but they're you know more incremental. There was uh, the attorneys. I mean, the press and has asked for the opening of the files. The just Jesse Smollett's files were sealed mm-hmm. after the charges were dropped. And they've uh, the journalists have asked for them to be opened, and uh, Jesse's uh, attorneys filed something basically arguing against why these files should be reopened. And they basically mentioned that he was uh, treated actually worse, far worse than the average citizen, and that there was no celebrity justice. So that was pretty interesting. That was wow. this week. Um, they said that you know he wants to go back to his uh, you know have a private life, and he's been threatened. Um, you know, and then there was uh, the case in Rolling Meadows. Yes, talk there about was, this. Uh, there was basically uh, Fox News. Fox Chicago News is the most, um, the um, reporters who broke this story. I think Dane Placco wrote a story. Oh, okay. And we did a follow. So we have a story in today's, today's paper. Stefano. Yes. Yeah, you're probably pronouncing his name right. I pronounce it Stefano, but oh, Stefano it probably is. But the British accent. <laughs> yeah, British accent. Hello, Italian. Romana. Yeah. Um, I always yeah. tell him he has red hair. <laughs> He's part Scottish too. So when he was first hired, he actually was hired as a criminal court reporter like in the early 2000s. And somebody goes, "Yeah, we hired this Italian guy." And I told him like when I saw him, I'm like, "He's Italian. He doesn't look Italian. He doesn't have dark hair. He's like." Yeah, okay, but he's part Scottish. But okay. anyway, so um, so we did a follow up, and basically there was this case involving this woman, this young suburban woman. I think she's from yeah, she's from Hoffman Estates. She's twenty one years old, and she worked at a Home Depot, and she also had a disorderly conduct case. And she stood before the judge in Rolling Meadows on April 11th. We got the transcripts from what he said because he started going off mm-hmm. on prosecutors. He, he, the judge. The judge, Mark Martin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you are familiar with his name. He was a pretty high-profile defense attorney. Because as soon as I saw his picture, I was like, oh, my God, this guy, I think he was one of, I think he was Richard Vineco's um, one of his attorneys, but he's 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 Richard someone. Richard Echo is Mayor Daly's nephew, who uh, was the the man who punched David Kochman. Yeah, and, uh, I'm pretty sure. I saw some clips, but I, this guy is definitely a high profile uh, 
defense attorney. And uh, someone mentioned that he does really know the law very well, unlike many Cook County judges. That's what somebody <laughs> said in our news meeting yesterday. So anyway, when I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, I totally know who this guy is. And uh, he basically was saying, um, so the prosecutors are like, if this, this woman, basically what she's accused of doing is giving her friends her bank account information. And then I guess they took money out of the account. And then she told she filed a police report saying that her money had been stolen. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was she was charged with one count of disorder conduct and yesterday giving a filing a false report false filing a false police report uh just as jesse smollett yes, was accused but he, of filing but a false he report. had 16 counts against him jesse smollett yeah, yeah and she had one from what i understand from the article anyway she w- was in court on april 11th and we got the transcripts and the judge basically started going off on the prosecutors saying that um you know Jesse Smollett did something worse, and the charges were worse, but he had no, you know, because the prosecutors were saying if she pays back the money and attends school and proves that she has a job, then, you know, we'll we'll drop the charges. So I think he was just stressing that, you know, Jesse Smollett didn't have any formal, you know, there was no formal kind of information about the case, you know, like, you know, serving. There were no stipulations. Yeah, there are no stipulations. You know, Mm -hmm. they they did mention his community service that he served at Rainbow Push, but that was like, it wasn't like there was a court hearing where they said, you have to do this, this, and this. It was was just like they dropped the charges and they said, oh, you know, he did the community service. So it was kind of like the way it was done. So anyway, this judge kind of just went off. And at some point, and so this young woman, after hearing him, the judge say stuff, she's like, I don't know if I want to, necessarily take you know do what the prosecutors are telling me so they're going to come back to court i think in may but anyway the judge said uh some of the things that he said was like he basically said to the prosecutors like your office created this mess and you know he's like not not me this is what he specifically said he said well miss clark the woman's name is candace clark he said well miss clark is not a movie star she does not have a high profile lawyer although her lawyer is very good and he said um and this smells Big time. I didn't create this mess. Your office created this mess. And your explanation is unsatisfactory to the court. She's being treated differently. Mm-hmm. This is the um, this is the judge talking to the prosecutors. And I can tell you this. I was talking to Andy Grimm, our criminal courts reporter, who's at 26 and Cal. He said days after the charges were dropped, there were judges going off on what happened in courtroom. They were yelling at defense attorneys and they were saying things like, if you think you can, your client can get away with such and such. So he said that a lot of judges were making grumblings about Kim Fox's office after, but he didn't necessarily hear about it. People were talking about it. So I think this one, um, I don't know how Fox 32 had gotten the story, but um, they're the ones who first reported it. Mm. Well, so really the issue here is whether uh, the Cook County State's Attorney will now use uh, Jesse Smollett situation as like a standard for all similar cases. Uh, and if you don't use it as a standard, then you're really open to the charge of double standard. So yeah. you, you follow me on this? Yeah, and, that's and, the and issue. I think the judge in this case was saying that whatever she's accused of doing was not as huge of a deal as as what Jesse Smollett was doing, although he just had his charges dropped and was in a less formal, you know, and had all these stipulations, didn't have the stipulations that she did, mm-hmm. at least the formal stipulations, you know, because Kim Fox's office is saying that, you know, he did pay the $10,000 back and he did perform community service, but there was no such hearing where, you know, reporters are present or where in an open court where he was told, like, if you do this, this and this. Yeah you'll have your case case dropped. No, it was just like he just showed up at, at this emergency hearing 
which by the way one you know andy grimm told me he wouldn't have known of unless he bumped into someone who told him it was really early in the morning so those are some questions i think those are good questions to ask so oh, they're absolutely good i don't think that i don't yeah. think this is going to go away as you said i mean people are writing about this left and right like we were talking about before the meeting, um, Donna Moore, who also ran for uh, state's attorney. I almost forgot about her, actually, because, you know, she was one of the lesser known candidates in the 2016 election where Anita Alvarez and Kim Fox were also running. There were three for, candidates, right? Yeah, three. And yeah. Donna Moore was the mm-hmm. third. Um, so she wrote um, an op-ed today about it. Oh, man, it. in the Chicago Although, Tribune. you know, it, it could be said that, you know, she was an opponent, so... Her kind of going after Kim Fox. Maybe means that she'll be getting ready to run in Yeah, you never know. You never know. So she just mentioned, she mentioned certain things about, you know, Kim Fox. She said that she padded her resume and, you know, I don't don't remember that much about that part. Um, But I I was just reading about how at, at the time, I think she said that she, Kim Fox had said that she had covered hundreds of felony cases, but it was closer to 100, which is, I don't know. Is it really fair? I mean, she might have just added the S to it. But um, so as I'm just saying Donna Moore, you know, so she had some decent points. Some of it I was just kind of cynical about it. I'm like, yeah, she probably does want to run. And she runs for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she had managed. I don't think, even think she mentioned Jesse Smella in the essay, which was pretty. Uh, I thought she did. By name. She said the celebrity. Yeah, maybe not by name. By name not by yeah. name. Uh, but it, it, see, this is what I'm struggling with, uh, Romana. And, and we've talked about this uh, in the past. Um I do believe there is a reason to investigate what went down because it's such a high profile case. It involved uh, so much it, so much money and investigation uh, time by the police, et cetera, et cetera. So I do believe that this warrants um, some sort of investigation what went down. And that key thing to me will always be the phone call she took from Tina Chen, who is a, a Democratic Party operative, high ranking operative. Uh, and... Um, you know, you have to ask, is this the reason why there's this appearance of double standard? And I believe that has to be investigated. On the other hand, I really do have a hard time when I see that group of uh, South Suburban police FOP. chiefs FOP. and the FOP and everybody jumping down her throat, knowing that she stands for the principle of alternative sentencing. Yeah. I feel as though they're like picking on her and to a certain degree. Yeah, I think that's true. I think. I think one of the interesting things in this case is that there are two extreme sides. There's one side where they're just kind of going off. You know what I mean? It's like they're they they are targeting her, and there there could be some questions as to whether it's fair or not, or whether you know someone else would have gotten. You know, they didn't like her from the get go. I can say that, and maybe this is a reason. Like the people on the way, and then there's people on the other side who don't even think this should be investigated. Mm-hmm. They're they think. There's, I, I guess it's one of those things where it's like there's some people totally to the right and some people totally to the right, left. I don't know. I feel like most reporters are in the middle, like saying like what exactly happened, and I think that's what they want to get down to the truth. And it, like I said, it's not about Jesse Smollett necessarily. It's about this case and how did you come about it? What was involved? Was politics involved? What was the what was the rationale behind? this case yeah. and how it was handled you're, and i think that's one of the things and i think i think the two sides are sometimes getting mixing things up and you know and there's you know a lot of people have a lot of people on the other end not the people who are you know saying that kim fox like you know oh she's terrible but the other people who are her fans like they're they have some good 
questions. You know, people are saying, I never saw this much anger when Laquan McDonald, when the Laquan McDonald case happened, you know, why, where was the anger? And I think those are legitimate questions. I feel like most reporters are in the middle and they do think it's an important case and it has nothing to do. I mean, there is a celebrity factor, but it's not like Jesse Smollett is this like Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise kind of guy. You know, yeah. he's this guy that nobody really knew until this case happened. Well, I, to me, the, so, the relevant uh, and analogy- it's always like for people to say that oh, we're also interested in celebrities. It's like he's not like this huge celebrity. It's the question of how did Kim Fox, Kim Fox's office, I should say, because technically she recused herself, but. How? What happened in this case, and how? Why did? How did they come to this conclusion and dropping the charges? Him being able to walk away without, it, you know, saying that he did this, he was able to walk away saying he main, with maintaining his innocence. So I don't know. I think these are questions that need to be asked, and I, I, I am interested in seeing what the report comes out by the Cook County Inspector General. Yeah, and then so this, like I, we'll be talking about this for a long time to come. I know we will, we'll keep talking about, about this it. because the, uh, in addition to that in, investigation by the Inspector General that you just alluded to, uh, the city has filed suit. They weren't yes. trying to get the money back uh, yes. from Justice. And a lot Ballard. of people think that's an extreme position to take too yeah well and by the way mayor rom is one who speaking <laughs> yes. of our beloved mayor rom he's the one who started that so yeah, he's he, leaving yeah. office dumping it on Lori light he called it a quote whitewash of justice yes he did uh <laughs> it's interesting you know <laughs> mayor rom suddenly opining on journalism after yeah. being one of the most uh you know difficult to deal with mayors uh, chicago journals have had uh mayor rom talking about whitewashing of justice after he fought to against releasing Laquan McDonald. Suddenly, as he heads out of office, he's turned into a combination of Earl Warren and <laughs> Edward R. Murrow. Um, all right, now, before we let you get out of this office, a couple things I have to ask you about, and one is uh, Joe Biden uh, and Anita Hill. Um, um, someone of... I'm, I, were you old enough to? to you're yeah, too I'm old enough. I was in college. That? Oh, you were in college for yeah. that. Um, I obsessively followed that. D, can we play that uh, tape of Joe Biden on the on the View? Do we have that? I'd love to get your thoughts on Joe Biden's defense of how he behaved uh, with Anita, regards to Anita Hill. Yeah, we're taking time to find it. <laughs> Not that. Knowing you, um, you know, for as long as I have, I, I don't know why it took you so long to call her. I wish it had happened earlier. Well, I, 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 I tell you what the deal was. I, I did not, um, since I had publicly apologized for the way she was treated, I had publicly said it, I publicly had given for out credit for her, what, the, the contribution she made to change, begin to change this culture in a significant way, that um, what, what I didn't want to do, and, and I, I didn't want to, quote, invade her space. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get in the situation where this became, and then I, when, when I heard all this about the, and it was legitimate, expecting a call every time the phone rang, why we, and so I, I, I spoke to some uh, leading women advocates in this area, who, someone knew her, and I said, could you, see whether she'd take my call. Yeah. And I was grateful she took my call. You know, I think what she wants you to say is, I'm sorry for the way I treated you, not for the way you were treated. I think that would be closer. Well, but but, um, I'm sorry the way she got treated. In terms of, I never heard say, if you go back and look what I said and didn't say, 
I, I, I don't think I treated her badly. I took on her opposition. What I couldn't figure out how to do, and we still haven't figured it out. Yeah. How do you stop people from asking inflammatory questions? How do you stop these character assassinations outside? There was a full-blown attack on her in order to try to get um, uh, the defense, quote unquote, for uh, Clarence Thomas. And, uh, and I am, I, 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 no woman or any victim of harassment should ever be put through that circumstance mm -hmm. in public hearing. Yeah. And, uh, and so, look, if you notice, we're all still looking for, how do you change the process of having the hearing? All right. Very good. That uh, Thanks, uh, Dee. That's uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, on The View today talking about uh, uh, how he behaved as the chair of the Judiciary Committee back in 1991 when they held uh, hearings on Clarence Thomas's appointment to the Supreme Court. And Anita Hill was a surprise witness at the last mm -hmm. minute to testify against Clarence Thomas on the issue of sexual harassment. Um, Did you watch it on C-SPAN? Or, Back in the day, yeah. Oh my goodness, I was, See, uh, I, yeah, I was utterly obsessed with that. I I remember just um, as a young woman just reading about it, but I didn't. I don't think I watched. It. I think I watched news clips, but I probably didn't watch like long segments. I didn't even, you know, I just learned more about Joe Biden's role in all of this like more recently. Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't pay attention that much, but no, I mean, I remember the news stories and I was paying attention to a certain extent and just like, you know, her, her testimony. I remember reading about that. Um, I didn't know it was an all white male panel. And, different times. Different yeah. Times. And uh, the fact that, you know, I was just reading more about it, you know, in the recent days and how he really didn't call any, he could have called more witnesses yes. to back her claims. And, uh, you know, when she was being grilled by the Republican lawmakers, he kind of just sat there quietly so um, it's interesting. And, you know, I, I know that he had, I didn't he say that he had a, some sort of talk with it, uh, Anita Hill recently. And he I called, think, he uh, yeah, he her. called her, but I don't think she was satisfied with No, what. she was not. The, and I, I think it's room. interesting that he said that he wanted to invade her space. But I'm like, you're invading everybody else's space. <laughs> and it's like rubbing their noses. Yeah. I mean, it's just bizarre. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's sexually harassing all these women that he was like you know putting his arm around but yeah. it's like if you i don't know if you've seen some clips because i've seen some people put together clips of like him like approaching young women and like kind of giving them hugs and they're all kind of like moving away and it's like didn't he can he read their body, body language? language like it's just i don't know if somebody came up to me and started doing that me started hugging me at work i mean unless it was like prompted you know i just it's just so bizarre yeah, the whole know. everything you just said, I agreed with, including the invading space. That was a I, point. It made I, me laugh. I know when I like heard he that knows. earlier, uh, I, I riffed on that as well. I was like, "Who are you to talk about invading space? You're so concerned now of all times." <laughs> and the thing is, he he really like on the view from what I read, it's like he was kind of pushed into apologizing because I think when he first said something, he was kind of like wishy-washy. Oh, and then very, he said, very. Why don't you just apologize? Yeah. And that's what he said. Oh, I'm sorry. And he's. And you know, like I said, I, I don't know. I, I think some men are really clueless, but I think in this day and age, you should realize that you are in people's spaces and maybe women don't want you touching you all the time. You well, know? So the, the, the thing about calling Anita Hill after all these years, um, when you're at the 
uh, on the edge of running for president, and you know it's going to be an issue. It's kind of like we were talking about Rom suddenly uh, opening up negotiate entering yeah, the negotiation when he senses that they're about to have a settlement that he can get credit for. You kind of, it's like you know if you're really looking at yourself and really doing some soul searching, Romano, wouldn't he have called Anita Hill? Yeah, like ten no, years I, ago. I, I totally agree, and I think it's. I, I just want to know who his advisors are. Like, I just think, like, Rom. does he really think that he has a, ch- I don't know. My personal opinion is that, you know, this is a very sensitive subject, especially this day and age, you know, sexual harassment, the Me Too movement has totally, you know, this has been a, pro- sexual harassment, I mean, clearly it's been a problem for a long time, even before 1991. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just that it's more in the forefront now. And I think people aren't tolerating it or people are just saying we don't tolerate this. I mean, if you think about it, Bill Clinton, if he ran in the state age, do you think he would even have? And I just think, like, no. who's telling Joe Biden that, you know, after all this stuff, like him coming out and saying stuff, oh, yeah, you know, I called Anita Hill. Like, does he really think he has a chance? Like, well, as, a, yeah. I don't know, as a 70-something old white man? I don't know. I, I, I uh... Yeah, I mean, I, then again, Donald Trump is president. Exactly. So I, um, I shouldn't really make these predictions anymore. And uh, one of the things, if you're going to run for president of the United States, you have to have just a strong sense of entitlement. That That's true. To go through that, you really just have to believe that it was meant for you. Otherwise, why would you put up with what they put up with? Um, all right, we got Heidi Henry sitting on. We're to bring her on. Uh, Romana, before I let you get out the door, recommendations. You told me you had oh, a yeah. recommendation. Well, well, I have like so many recommendations. Well, I, my pop culture recommendations right now is on one. The first one I just binged watched earlier this week. It's called Rami. It's on Hulu. It's a show about an Egyptian Muslim millennial. And usually the, the a lot of Muslims feel like a lot of these shows that like a lot of Muslim comedians or Muslim actors make, they kind of water them down or make for the white gays, non-Muslim gays to make kind of like non-Muslims and, you know, white people feel comfortable. This show is actually really good. I don't even relate to all of it because this kid is like, he's, there are certain things that I would never do as like as Muslim, but it, it's really good. It's kind of like, you know, he's kind of struggling with his identification and it's, it's actually very good. There's, there's always, there's stuff that's totally relatable, I think. And it is kind of made for, I, I think a lot of people enjoy it because it's not, thinking about that gaze and so i think like all kinds of all kinds of individuals are watching it's really funny if you have hulu or you don't can, not have hulu you, can, you can use someone else's yeah. account make us make us you can, well you know what this comedian he's egyptian so he even even on his facebook page he's like borrow your cousin's uh, hulu account and the other the other show i mean the other show is a little more cheesy but it's still like for a generation x person like myself um i enjoy it cobra kai the second season just started cobra kai is basically the karate kid many years later so it's basically following danny the uh the karate kid and his nemesis johnny and so so the show like i was it's a youtube premium show so you actually have to, i'm all used so you to, can't uh, borrow that from you somebody? can borrow that too i'm okay. doing that right, i'm, I'm borrowing friends. <laughs> well you know well, you're borrowing i'm a borrowing a friend <laughs> oh and even even my hulu i'm borrowing a friend mick is like i got i get hulu through spotify i'm like well set up the account then i can use it i don't know what your password is so um if you like the karate kid it's like you're gonna lo- love cobra kai love so cobra kai season's uh, season one was last year and it basically follows the two men many years later so Danny is a successful car dealer 
owner and Johnny, his enemy, is kind of like this loser. But they did a really good job. They're kind of showing his side and why he was so evil. And so the second season just started right now and it's it's cheesy, but it's really good. And I think it's renewed. For, I, I don't know if there's going to be a third season, but everybody loves it. Anybody who's a Generation Xer watch The Karate Kid. I'm not a Generation it. Xer, but I did love The Karate Kid, so I'm going to have to check it out. And there's a, I think I told you this, there's a team in my bowling league called Cobra Kai. So in honor of uh, Joe and the gang, I'll watch Watch yes, Cobra Kai. Steel watch makes it. account and uh, <laughs> and watch it. Uh, Ramana, thank you very much. It's the Ramana Rundown thank every you. Friday. We're going to get those t-shirts one of these days from the Sun-Times. Uh, and uh, we got Heidi Henry coming on when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. would like to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky show and who wouldn't contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com we have several advertising options for your business or organization and quite frankly we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it once again that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp at c-o-r-p as in paul dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. All right, everybody, your Ben Jarofsky show, hour number two, now with video. Ooh, check it mm, out, trippy, live man. streamers. Oh, if you're just downloading, you're missing this. Listen, oh, Ben Jarofsky show, now live video. Oh, pretty crazy. All right, hour number two is 
moments away. But before we get going into the second hour, we would like to thank the following unions for bringing back the Ben Jarofsky Show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, April 26th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome Heidi Henry to the studio, and it's the return, the long-awaited return, of Black Harvest Film Festival director Sergio Mims. And now your host, Black Fe- Film Festival movie watcher, <laughs> Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Ben Jarofsky here. Uh, Heidi Henry in the studio with me. And, um, oh, man, I Heidi Henry is one of my favorite people that I met from the past campaign season. I'll give uh, the full rundown of how I met Heidi. Uh, I must have interviewed her at least three times. I'll tell everybody about that. Heidi Henry from LaSalle County ran for 38th. Uh, district Senate uh, seat in the 38th District, a Democrat. And I mean a real New Deal Democrat, even though she's too young to know what the New Deal is or have lived through it. She knows what it is. She didn't live through it. All right. Uh, running in Trump country and uh, found it very inspirational. So I'm really happy to bring Heidi Henry back. But before we bring her on, what you got for me, young man? All right, just a quick update here. And uh, this may be a record for me personally. He hasn't even been a candidate for two whole days, and I'm already sick of talking about him. <laughs> 2020 presidential candidate, Grandpa Joe. Oh, come on, Joe Grandpa Biden. Joe. Oh, we've talked about it like 20 times. All right. Uh, personal space issues and questionable handling of testimonies from almost 30 years ago. Be damned. The Biden train is still rolling. This comes from TheGuardian.com. Joe Biden has raised $6.3 million in 24 hours. Wow. Wow. Yeah. In 24 hours? Yeah. In 24 Good hours. God. Yeah. Outstripping Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine if we had those kind of fundraising abilities here in the Ben Jarofsky show? Oh, we could afford dude. another camera. Oh, my God. I'd have like <laughs> tons of Arby's roast beef hanging around. Oh, there'd be so many things. I'd be enjoying it. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what. Democrats are eager to defeat Donald Trump. We're going to talk to Heidi Henry about that. Uh, $6.3 million, did you say, right, D? 6.3. Wow. Anyway, that's that's impressive, uh, and I'm sure um, some of those are probably uh, Democrats of the Clintonian persuasion, uh, centrist Democrats who are eager uh, to take back the White House. Thank you very much, D. Uh, Heidi Henry is my guest, and Heidi, uh, back in the day when I had a different radio show, a mm-hmm. uh, radio show that I was uh, unceremoniously fired from, uh, but anyway, uh, that's all been forgotten and forgiven, maybe. Uh, I We had this great um, endeavor we went on, was to go to various counties in and around the Chicago, uh, city of Chicago, and uh, it would be Dennis and Antonio and Steve, the ad salesman, and myself. We'd get in a car, we'd drive out, uh, and we'd set up at some restaurant mm-hmm. or... Uh, uh, the Elks Club. The, yeah, the Elks Club, yeah. and, and I'd inter- inter- interview Democrats who were running uh, for uh, seats in Republican areas, right. and uh, you were running... Uh, for the 38th Senate District seat, right. uh, tell folks exactly where the 38th is roughly, so they get a sense of geogra- geography. If you get, get on Interstate 80, and I don't, I know you guys 
give those names out here, so I don't know what name you call Interstate 80, but if you got an Interstate 80 and went straight west about an hour, you'd be at the beginning of the 38th. And then you would go to almost to Princeton, which is another hour, and that's the end of the 38th. It was a huge district huge. Uh, geographically. Seven counties. Seven county district. Yeah. And uh, you, the thing that, uh, you know, I got to meet people very quickly before I would interview them. And I remember you were a horse trainer. And I was like, yeah. a horse trainer? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, you interview a lot of horse trainers. Uh, so tell folks a little bit. You grew up on a farm? Did you grow up on a no, farm? No, I grew up in Glen Ellen. So, oh. And my dad still lives there. He's, he's 97. I talk about my pops a lot on my Facebook t- page, which still exists because people connected and I connected with them and it was important to keep the dialogue going. So I grew up in Glen Ellen. My dad was a farm boy from Milford, Illinois. And uh, when we moved up here, he moved up to Chicago around World War II. And um, I just wanted to go back to the back to nature. I, I struggled with what I wanted to do as a career. And the only thing that kept pulling me back uh, was training horses, which is something I started to do when I was about 12. So, 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 uh, so you were, you were the one who would actually take the, the wild bronco and <laughs> ca- get him to calm down by whispering into the horse's ear or something. You know, and I, I told you this when whispering doesn't work, screaming obscenities <laughs> might, but <laughs> no, you, uh, it's actually a long gradual process that that snubbing him down and getting on and bucking him out is not for me, but. Uh, I had to unfortunately retire at the beginning of 2016 from bronco busting uh, because uh, I had my back fused and it had nothing to do with falling off a horse. I just fell off a step stool. So I don't have a good story to tell for that. But you would actually get on the horse and the horse would be rearing back. You would actually, and you would hold on to the horse? Well, okay, so when horses come in for training, they either come in because they've had no training, so Uh you can take your time and build those skills. Or you can get a horse in like my horse, Shane, who I've had for 14 years. And Shane was literally on his way to DeKalb to become meat because he was such a bad boy. And I intervened. Become meat. That's a euphemistic way. He was going to be a Belgium roast, and I don't mean coffee. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) so I I intervened, and I took Shane home, and and I just loved him. But his problem was nobody trained him. Mm -hmm. And so I had to to teach him how to love to be ridden. So once I did that, and we've been best buddies for 14 years. I, the first three months were blood, sweat, and tears from both of us, but he only knew what he knew, and that wasn't much, you yeah. know? So that's been that's been my life. And I'm sure when I fell off my step stool, it was like, okay, this is the last time you fall down, you know? <laughs> that is so funny. You you, you train these uh, horses, or uh, no problem, but that step yeah. stool was the dangerous. Yeah. But I might, well, let me give a shout-out to Shane, who right now is sitting in some stable cylinder. Thank God I'm not Belgium roast. I, well, you know, my husband, we got up, we get up at 6 every day. He took him, a Shane from Marseilles, Illinois, to Elgin, Illinois, to see the special equine podiatrist because Shane has very bad feet. Oh. So. Sorry to hear that. Every six weeks. Um, so, all right. In addition to being a horse trainer, somehow or other, you found yourself as what you told me. I remember the first interview, wherever that was, mm-hmm. uh, that you were a New Deal Democrat. And I, I found that uh, an interesting uh, a title for someone as young as you are to give yourself, because obviously you were not there for the FDR New Deal. No. I wasn't, but I had uh, I had amazing parents that raised me that that lived through that time, that gave me uh, some background on it. And then shout out to Mr. Katz, my eighth grade uh, teacher at Glencrest Junior High, who had me do a report on FDR. Who 
uh, that's how I, I learned about the New Deal. I didn't know. And moreover, he taught me about Francis Perkins, which was the labor secretary under FDR, and why we have the legislations, a lot of the legislation we do have, and how the, the New Deal formed. You know, so that was that was why I was so passionate about it. I learned about it at a young age. I mean, I came home from my confirmation here in Chicago. My parents stopped by where the Haymarket riots happened. Mm-hmm. Because they wanted us to remember where we came from. You know, my mom was, a, she had a master's degree and she was an RN. My dad was a mechanical engineer and an inventor. They had lots of schooling, but they knew where they came from. You know, my, my grandpa was, ran the um, catalog department for Sears, Sears and Roebuck when I was a child. He was retired at 58 because he had good stock options, you know. <laughs> but so they wanted us to remember the humble roots you know, my one of my grandfathers was a horse train uh, horse shoer. He was a blacksmith in town. I'll have to tell you a really great story about that sometime. But he, um, the other one was an engineer on the, you know, I don't know what train line, but mm-hmm. you know, just just what they had to go through to have everything they had for us to live in Glen Ellen. You know, that was a big deal. You know, to live there and. For me to meet my husband in a barn in Wheaton and to make the choice to go back to the rural community, when people move out there uh, where I live, most of the people who live by me don't didn't start there. You know, they don't they aren't generational people. But then a little further out, you get to the bigger farms. It's very generational. All right. Now, so you are imbued with this, um, the spirit of the New Deal, even though obviously yeah. you, this is something you learned from uh, your parents or your uh, relatives. Uh, you, you have tremendous respect for Francis uh, Perkins, who's a name that's almost lost to history. Oh, should be on everybody's lips, yeah. you know. And um, uh, Labor Secretary uh, under uh, FDR. Uh, so now you're running against uh, Sue Rezin, who is an incumbent Republican, sort of a rounder Republican, yeah. if you will, a conservative Republican, particularly oh, yeah. on anti-choice, anti-choice, LBGTQ. I mean, anything that is what you would embrace as a humanitarian, as um, somebody who loves progress and are forward thinking she has no interest in. All right, so you have a choice. Uh, you can do what many Democrats do when they're running in a uh, red district, mm-hmm. and that's move uh, right in order to somehow or other convince voters who are the Republican persuasion that there's really not much the difference between the Democrat and a Republican, or you could stay true to your New Deal uh, values uh, and run the risk of getting clobbered. In other words, run. In other words, run an honorable race that ends in defeat. Uh, you chose the second option. You uh, stuck to your guns. Uh, yes. Do you have any regrets about that? I have no regrets about running the race as authentically as I am. If I tell you something, I absolutely believe it. Uh, it's very hard to dissuade me, and I have never backed down from a fight in my life. I don't back down from challenges. Challenge accepted. And if I moved the, um, if I moved the agenda forward a little bit, if I opened the conversation a little bit, then I've done my job. 
All right. Well, so uh, so running for in front of Trump vote to Trump voters. Yes. Did you learn any lessons that the Joe Bidens, the Kamala Harris's, the Cory Booker's, the Mayor Pete's? Uh, I'm trying to go through the Elizabeth Warrens of the the party right now who are running for the presidential nomination. Did you learn any lessons that they could apply when they're going up against Donald Trump? Okay. So when I was running, I went through Build the Bench with Sherry Bustos. I went through Rust Belt Rising, which was an online training. Um, and I ended up leaving the Rust Belt Rising um, tutorials because they were teaching us to talk at poor people, to talk at farmers. There is no inclusion, no with people. And where I live, there is great, great distrust of the Democratic Party. There's great distrust of Speaker Madigan. There's great dis- distrust of uh, Senate President Cullerton. They don't trust that process because they see the con- uh, uh, where power has been concentrated here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and that they see that that the same people have concentrated power across the state, and that they have deliberately left areas of the state red because they don't need our votes. They don't. They don't need to pay attention to us. But what happens is when you don't pay attention to those red areas. Other things happen because they didn't pay attention to my race, because they didn't support me. We lost a sheriff we'd had for over 20 years. We lost county board members. We lost county clerks out that way. That area is becoming more red when it should be becoming more purple, more blue. And that doesn't help. The rhetoric against the speaker down there is Unbelievable, Speaker Madigan. Yes, against Peter. And I've never met him. And I would tell people when they would ask me at the door, and, and they would give me the same phrase I'm supposed to say, if it weren't for Speaker Madigan, we would have right to work. Do you know what that means to a farmer? Zero. Zip. Nothing. Those are the people I'm talking to. What are they? They don't know well, what is right to work. Everybody should have the right to work is what they would tell me. Mm-hmm. So, And I would tell them, look, I've been in the room with him three times. He gave basically the same speech all three times. Talk He's, about the he being mad again. Mad again, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know the man, you know, and I'm running for the Senate, which is a different person. Well, then it would start the whole, oh, well, he's just as bad. And <laughs> <laughs> Meaning Cullerton, yeah. Right. So, you know, that's, you, you are going up a hill, up a 90-degree you know, incline. And we need better tools out there. And, you know, JB would send people out and they would sit in the office because they don't understand out there where I live. You don't sit in an office and sit on your computer all day. You get out and talk to the people because they don't trust you until they know you, shake your hand, look you in the eye. All right. So, um, putting the personalities to his side, right. uh, in, in, you know, pe- the, the, misguided, the, the prejudice people might have against a Madigan or a color oh, team. I know. Uh, the but bias they might have against them, the cultivated. dislike. that has been cultivated, cultivated by a, a very expensive campaign yes. uh, by one Bruce Rauner, spent yep. a lot of money and time uh, turning Michael Madigan into a boogeyman. Uh, and so putting that aside, what are the issues that you could connect with uh, voters in this area. What what were the specific issues that resonated sure. with them? Well, healthcare is always a big issue. And in, in that district, uh, there's an area, a little town called Streeter. Streeter had a small hospital. The hospital closed. Uh, Senator Resin never um, attended even one meeting about the hospital closing. Now the people that live there have to be transported to Ottawa 
or to Pontiac or clear to Peoria if they're ill. So if you're having, and people have died already out there. So healthcare is a major concern in that part of the district. In other parts of the district, as you go further west, the poverty inc- increases because we've lost steel mills and other, uh, you know, other jobs that were, were, were well-paying. The kids have left, my kids have left the area to work. So, um, you know, there isn't a lot of energy, a lot of young energy. And what happens is as you get further west, away from Oswego, away from Morris, anything west of Morris, the poverty increases dramatically. You have a couple of small towns out there where the average household median income is under $30,000 a year. That's a household income. So they're living below the poverty line. They're dependent on their pensions or Social Security, or some of them are on SSI. They literally do not have enough money to pay their bills and eat, to have their medication and to have television. Mm. You know, it's it's these simple, you know, we talk about kitchen table topics. No, these are life and death topics. And nobody's paying attention from the Democratic Party of Illinois to what's going on out there. And I'm going to give you an example that happened the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, you had your state representative here. And she was talking about... Oh, Ann Williams. Ann yeah. Williams. Mm-hmm. She was talking about the clean energy bill. Right. Okay. So I was listening to that, and I, I backed it up and replayed it several times because Monroe had asked a question, mm-hmm. and he was off mic, and then you got him on mic so he could ask the question, how are you going to educate people? But I don't think that was his question. How are you going to change somebody's mind is a question. Because when you have people that are generational coal miners which is not common in my area anymore, but generational working in the, the plants and generation, gen, you know, when they've done this and you're saying, well, that's okay, we're just gonna give you something new to do. You're not honoring their history. And these people are so entrenched in that history, you need to go in and honor that and have a conversation with them. So when I heard her do what, what, what down by me they call a Chicago spin. It's a slight spin. She didn't avoid the question. She just doesn't understand how to answer the question. In other words, there's a way to engage people uh, who may be suspicious of a new industry like a, you know, a clean uh, energy industry that's coming in and displacing them from their job. There's a way engaging people uh, to show that you respect where they've come from, where their forefathers right. have come from, et cetera, to show some respect for the people that you're uh, trying to win over as opposed to just telling them, you're going to take this. This yeah. is the way it's going to be. Well, you know, and she talked, addressed a little bit about uh, lands that are spoiled that can't be used for, for farming anymore. The thing that the farmers don't want is they don't want solar farms on usable ground. So put it on the old slag heaps. Put it on, they, she, nobody talks about set-aside ground. Do you know what set-aside ground is? Do you know we pay farmers not to grow in certain mm-hmm. places so we don't have a dust bowl again? That's your set-aside ground. So talk to farmers about set-aside ground. They understand that. But when you just say, well, we need to have, you know, move to solar, no, they're going to say, you know, hell no, you're not taking my cropland for that. And these are people that are sitting on on, on silos full of 2018 grain they can't sell. So they can't sell it at a decent price. They can't sell it for what it costs to put it in the ground and harvest it. It's sitting there, and they're hurting for money. Now, they're not hurting too bad yet, but the farmers that are under... Um, 300 acres, say, maybe even smaller, the 150-acre, 90-acre, 60-acre people, they're really hurting. Most of them have other jobs. The big farmers will tell you they're just going to wait until they fold and buy their land, which is what happened in the 80s. Now, in the 1980s, when we had the farm collapse, 
Uh, I lived in DuPage County, and none of that land went back into farmland. It's all development now. None of it went back, and it was a huge land grab. They see that coming, and they don't trust the Democratic Party to save them because Jimmy Carter did the grain embargo. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So this is Old deep. memories. Yes. That grain embargo was 1980. 80, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, for me, that's what brought down the Soviet Union. It wasn't Ronald Reagan telling Gorbachev to tear down the wall. It was starving people that said, you know, we're going to take down the wall and get some food. <laughs> you know? But so. farmers paid for the price. You know, farmers were paying the price before because we were at a roughly 11% interest right then. And they were, buy more land, buy more land. They were so on a bubble like mm-hmm. we were in 08 for housing that when it burst, it was the last straw. So, you know, so when we talk about how you talk to the people that live out by me, you got to talk with them. You cannot talk at them. You, I always tell people it took 10 years for the people of Marseilles to beat the Glen Ellen out of me because I would talk. <laughs> <laughs> that horse was the one that beat the Glen Ellen ever through you. Yeah. yeah, that's happened a few times. But, but you know, it's it's like, like I explain it, you know, uh, when I was running for office, sometimes I had to eat my sandwich with a knife and fork because that was the protocol. Out there, nobody would do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's the difference between knife and fork meals and eating with your hands and not, not so much that. But, you know, it's like, don't be pretentious. Don't assume that they can get to that place of clean energy, of uh, bringing back the New Deal or the or Green New Deal or um, watching the pesticides or whatever that they're using. They don't understand it because they, we, they haven't been included in the conversation. Uh, Ann Williams, State Representative Ann Williams, someday you should meet and talk to Heidi Henry, uh, who ran for State Senate uh, out in LaSalle uh, County, 38th Senate District. You know, listening to you talk, I just read this book uh, by a guy named Robert Caro, who is um, a hero of mine, great investigative reporter. Uh, and he, he's the one who's written, he's now written, he's wrote four volumes of a, uh, a biography of LBJ. He's working on the fifth of oh, Lyndon wow. Johnson. Yeah, four. I mean, this man has spent like 30 years of his life studying LBJ. But the one thing he said that resonated with what you just said is that it wasn't enough to go through the files and and read all the memos that that LBJ wrote over the years. It wasn't enough to read all the histories, to read the transcripts, et cetera, et cetera. He had to go to Texas, Mm -hmm. go to those small towns in Texas where LBJ first ran and meet people who knew him and talk to people, see what their life was like, before he really understood the, you know, sort of the roots of LBJ and how he became the man he was. The mile in my moccasins, right? Isn't that the old saying? Until yeah. you, and and the thing is, is that um, you know hope, we're hoping uh, our chapter of Indivisible down there in the heartland is hoping to have uh, Dan Biss come down and do a talk about the tax deal. We just had the Tea Party was just reborn in LaSalle County with a great fanfare, so we need to get him down there to talk about this. Because we can't let people go over back to the easy. It's easy to be a hater. It's hard to be a learner, especially after a certain age, right? So, um, you know, you can teach an old dog's dog new tricks like me, but you have to take it through uh, a process of inclusion. And I realize that the state party, the state Democratic Party, does not need our votes, but they really need to listen to us. We're... 
you know, when I talk to my county chairs down there, they're just so disillusioned after the last election, just so disillusioned. Well, the state Democratic Party may not need your votes, but the Democratic Party uh, needs your votes, particularly in areas that are similar in uh, Michigan and yes. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Uh, and if the if the Democratic Party is going to make inroads in other states where they probably could make inroads, like Georgia or North mm-hmm. Carolina, they should be uh, listening and learning from people uh, like the constituents you ran among. Now, i got to get your thoughts on this quote I told okay. you about. I read this today when I was coming in uh, to do this show. It's from a column by Darlene Glanton in the Chicago Tribune. And she's talking about Joe Biden's candidacy. Mm-hmm. And um, she's talking about the... Um, the, the sort of the infighting among the Democrats who uh, many lefties, uh, progressives, whatever they're called, who don't think Joe is progressive enough. Mm-hmm. And um, were you a Bernie person? No. Oh, you were not? You were a Hillary person. Okay, well, curious. I'm going to read this quote to pretty much everybody. Sergio Mims, my next guest is going to get this quote as well, so he's, he might as well listen. All right, here we go. Who doesn't like the idea of free college tuition? having their college loans dismissed, reparations for descendants of slaves, and Medicare for all. It all sounds great, but informed and realistic voters know that such things cost money and that they could never see the light of day without bipartisan support in Congress. Those aren't the types of things Democrats should be focusing on this time around. They must have one goal in mind, stopping Trump from winning a second term. That's a quote from today's column by uh, Darlene Glanton in the Tribune. Uh, Do you abide by her or do you have a different point of view? Was that her quote or was that No, literally something she wrote. She wrote. I disagree with her because I I really feel that the movement is to the left. It may not be as hard left as I I tend to be. I've been a a political um, women's issue and environmental activist since I was seven years old, literally. You know, so maybe not as hard left as I am, but certainly we need to move the conversation to the left because it's for the benefit of the people. When we talk about politicians, we leave out the fact that those are public servants. Those are people that are supposed to be looking out for the people, right? Mm -hmm. Their job is to take care of us. Not take care of us manna from heaven-wise, but maybe even a little bit. My tax dollars, I think, would be better spent on educating the public than on a border wall, for God's sake. My uh, tax dollars would be better spent uh, providing, um, uh, you know, help for people in college debt than sending Trump to the golf course again, again, 16, is it $16 million he spent or a hundred million? Something outrageous. It was so outrageous. And and it just like hits you in the heart because I, I met all these poor people like me and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, what would a little help do for them? What would a little break on their on their medications do for them? What would be, you know, not trying to take away SNAP food for people? For God's sake, it's hungry people. You need to feed them. I want my tax dollars to go there, not for foolishness, not for increasing our military budget exponentially when we don't need it. So don't get me on my soapbox. No, that's, that's just what I wanted you to do, uh, Heidi Henry. Um, listen, that's Heidi Henry. She ran for state district uh, Senate 
in the 38th district in the November election. I met her when we took our show on the road. Heidi, I can't thank you enough for schlepping all the way into the city of Chicago. I enjoyed it. We took the train and we ate it. At Greek Islands and oh, we, I love we, Greek Islands. We you guys walked ate at Greek here. Islands. Yeah, we walked here. Oh, it's good. It's not that far. It's okay. beautiful out today. It's a beautiful day. Well, we we'll have to have you back. And Dennis and I have been talking about taking the show back on the road, do some of the remotes that we did in the old days. Yeah. And uh, so maybe we'll have to make a return visit to your neck of the woods as well. We would. We would love to have you. And the thing is, is that. Even though I know that lately you've been focused on Chicago politics, you don't understand what having a progressive voice does for people out there. It helps spread the news. And I just want to add one little thing. My my husband's aunt was very sick while I was running for office, and she lives way down in the southwest corner of uh, Iowa, almost to Nebraska, and or, can, or is it Kansas anyway? She so as you drive through there, if you have to stop, almost every truck stop, every restaurant you stop in has Fox News on. So as an activist, I would go and ask them to change the, cha- the channel, right? Hi, <laughs> So, well, I, I don't have to eat there. You yeah. know, I don't have to buy my gas there. I can go somewhere else. So, um, and and they did. But you have to understand when they talk about they talk about state run new news air quotes here, um, being through all of Iowa. You have to be listen. You have to go in and, and stand up for your right to sit down and not have to listen to that blathering all day. You know, <laughs> would they turn it off? Uh all but one, and that one we we decided not to eat there. All right, so they lost your business. Yeah, for that well, day. there was eight of us, you know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a good lunch tab. A healthy know? tab. See, all right. <laughs> I hope you loved your Fox News. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, Heidi Henry, and we'll bring you back. And uh, we also look forward to seeing you back in your neck of the woods. Sure. We'll do a remote. Got Sergio Mims on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody! What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Everybody, commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Heidi Henry has left the bell. I love Heidi Henry. And I just remember so well how what a champion she was for progressive issues. There I was uh, out somewhere. I don't even know where I was. At a, you know, as a downstater from uh, downstate <laughs> Illinois, I love a little farm talk on the uh, Ben Jarofsky show, all right? Yeah, but she just uh, told it like it was. I wish I had lived in the 38th Senate District. I would have uh, happily voted for Heidi Henry. And so it's great that she could um, make the way here to Chicago, come back on the show. Uh, Sergio Mims is... Uh, uh, now in the hot seat, as they say, Sergio Mims, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival, the best film festival in the city of Chicago. I said it. I put it on his Facebook wall You sure page. did. You know, I believe it. I love the Black Harvest Film Festival, so he's going to give me some scoops on the Black Harvest Film Festival. Plus, here's the thing about Sergio, the Renaissance man will talk about anything, unafraid. You never know what he's going to say. So we're going to do some Biden talk, some ROM talk. Maybe talk about Steven Spielberg's uh, fight with Netflix. Mm-hmm. I sent you an article to read or a headline or whatever. It was homework for Sergio before he came on the show. Uh, and Donald Trump and impeachment and all kinds of things. Joe Biden, Anita Hill. Uh, before that, do you got an update for us? Absolutely, I do here. Uh, well, first off, just want to let everybody know, Ben Jarofsky Show on Facebook. We are waiting to hit 1,500 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page for our next caption contest. Like I said, 1,500. We've got a ways to go. Right now, we are at 1,260. 1,262. If you're listening to this and you have yet to like the Ben Jarofsky show on Facebook, what is your problem? Yeah, hurry up. Head over to the page now. J O R A V is in Victory S K Y at Benny J Show on Twitter. Once again, at Benny J Show on Twitter. Checking to make sure that music was still there. Uh, and Ben Jarofsky, J O R A V is in Victory S K Y. Uh, a little later on here, I have more from Fran Spielman uh, on Chicago uh, Chicago.suntimes.com and her interview with Rahm Emanuel. We're going to be playing more from that a little later on. He weighed in on Ed Burke. Oh, he did? Yes, Rahm weighed in. Did you have that? Uh, I, well, I have it, but I'm kind of having some computer issues. I hear you, so I a little hear later you. on, we'll play that. All right, very good. Uh, but I barely knew the guy. Yeah, I barely knew who? Ed who? Yeah, Ed who? Uh, By I the way, is that your buttermilk? Uh, yo, no, Show him the joke. Yeah, this is the joke. Um, oh. Peter, yeah, this is a missing. Fantastic podcast. Podcast. Oh. Yeah, wait, show the camera. There, there we, go. we go. Show there the there camera. Oh, wait, I, wait, hold on. Show the camera. There we there go. Get we that go. camera. I, I didn't go. know they still sold buttermilk. No, that, well, there's, I, I don't know where, Peter Jenko gave this to me, of, and he is from McHenry County. So they sell it out in McHenry County, and then they put my name on there. Missing in action after I was so unceremoniously fired from my old show, they thought that was pretty funny he's missing but he's they found me and here i am and here you are uh back together again all right before uh i get your reactions to rom and justice Spillett and kim fox and joe biden and anita hill and uh ebony magazine good god george oh, lucas yeah. is gonna buy- talk about that yeah. i did work for them for a while yeah before sure we get your, your thoughts and all that i'm mm-hmm. i was fascinated by that story in the tribune uh about ebony's um uh, situation with george lucas it seems like it's gonna own the pictures uh before we get those thoughts update on the black harvest film festival every august i tell you why i'm laughing because i can't tell you you know that um we are working on a lot of major things wheeling and dealing we're really in dealing the problem is Uh as i've told you before (laughs) i don't want to commit to something and we lose it i see it happened this week it happened last week uh, a movie, not the thing you, not the film you're talking about. Okay, but a film that we had locked, and then um, we found out last week that it got picked up by a distributor, uh-huh. and the distributor has said uh, we're going to pull it out of film festivals. It happens now. 
it's not the end of that. I think there's a way we can still show it. This particular movie. This particular that movie. That you cannot name. But that's the problem. But we are working on things. I, I can tell you about Spike. Uh, we're still working on it. He, You know, he's been in the Philippines shooting a new movie. What's? Yeah, you told me that. What's the movie that it's he's It's called making? The Five Bloods. It's about five black Vietnam veterans. So they're shooting in the Philippines, pretend that's Vietnam. Yeah. What and other great movie uh, did that? Apocalypse Now. Very good. Sergio Mims knows his movie history. That's right. And that... Firebase Gloria. And uh, <laughs> okay, now you're really up. And uh, Hamburger Hill. And that was uh, fi- all filmed in the. Why can't we? They film them in Vietnam. I mean, because in the Philippines, they got everything for free. You can get all the military equipment for free. I see. Uh, was American Gangster uh, actually filmed? American the, Gangster, they shot in the oh, Philippines maybe, or was it Thailand? Shoot it was supposed to be Thailand, wasn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be Thailand. Uh, I mean, they, well, I, you could shoot in Thailand. All right. So anyway, so uh, so Spike is out of the country. One of the things that the Black Harvest Film Festival does that I appreciate is they take a movie from the past mm-hmm. of 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, what have you. They bring the director back. They bring some of the actors back. Right. They, a, they show the movie. It's a portal into a time long gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, speaking of which, uh, I'm going to ask you about the Aretha Franklin movie. Uh, and then, um, Which I haven't seen, so I haven't seen Oh, you've not seen it? I haven't oh, okay. seen it yet. All right. Uh, and uh, so then there's a discussion. Discussion. And uh, so one of my favorite things is like, what movie? What's the movie you're going to bring back? And you don't know that then. You, you've not oh, no, no. We still have plans to bring it back. We do have a contingency plan, though. It's still involving Spike. Can't tell you what it is. All yet. right. So, all right. So that's that. No right. news, no updates. My favorite part news. of a Sergio Mims interview. I can't tell you. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you. So, what's the point of me being here? Well, you have the Renaissance man. We're going to pick your brain and all the other issues. All of right. The day. Uh, but anyway, just folks, as you know, the Black Harvest Film Festival. It's August consumed. 3rd to August 29th. We announced the dates. Uh, tickets will be available in June. Um, including the pass and everything, so uh, it be very. It's very soon, folks. You know, we're still getting submissions in. The deadline's not until the first week of June. Okay. So submissions are still coming in. Two came in this morning before I left. Okay. So they're coming in. Last year we had over two hundred and fifty submissions. Mm-hmm. It's running at that same pace right now. So we have a lot of movies to go through. We have a lot of people to talk to. It's coming together, folks. All right, very good. And uh, Sergio will be back. He's on our, he's on the show on a regular basis, so uh, he'll have more updates. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm uh, disrespecting Doc Ten. Love you, Steve Cohen, and the the uh, documentary film festival you put at the Davis. But uh, the reason why I always say Black Harvest is my best because it's not just docs; it's um, it's everything. Everything. And also, Chicago Film Critics Film Festival starts May seventeenth, and they just announced their schedule today. A lot of really great, interesting titles, including a 40th anniversary screening of Alien. Oh, wow. With Tom Skerritt in person. Well, that's pretty good. You can give it a shout out to another festival. That's very uh, nice of you. All right. Um, uh, Sergio is also uh, a disc jockey. Uh, WHPK uh, his, has a show dedicated to uh, classical music, uh-huh. and as such, you are a lover of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Well, that love is beginning to fade, but uh, go ahead. Okay, we've had Steve Lester on the show a couple times. He is a member of the orchestra. He's the leader of the union. Uh, he's talking about the contract uh, difficulties they've been having to put him out for seven weeks strike. Do you got the uh, the the Rom interview? The part about the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'd love to get your thoughts. I've been talking about Rom. Am I 
being uh, too cynical and skeptical when I... You can't be too cynical uh, when it comes to Rom. <laughs> All right. Well, Rom came to the Sun-Times today. He was interviewed by Fran Spielman, uh, and he was breaking away, he said, uh, from being... Uh, bringing the two sides together from the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the, the striking musicians, and the board of trustee members. Let's hear Rom on the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Cue the awesome Franz Spielman intro. Hi, everybody. I'm Franz Spielman, and with me is Mayor Rahm Emanuel for the final time as Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Although I hope but I'll you come always back. be Rahm Emanuel. I hope you come back at some point as a private citizen. Okay. So, you were late because you're with the CSO trying to settle the Chicago Symphony strike. Will we have music? Well, <laughs> you and I are them. <laughs> I think here's what I would say, uh, Fran, is uh, first of all, it's the first meeting for me with them. Uh, we had, I think, one you can pick up immediately. I think both parties would like to have the rest of the season and what they can recoup of the season. Um, I think there's an interest in seeing that happen. I think that um, obviously over a period of time there's both somewhat exhaustion, you know, and so uh, all the feelings that come around with being at this for a year but intensely for the last seven weeks. Um, the, what you can pick up is that there's an, a desire and a will to try to find a resolution. Um, obviously, I'm here. They're still over at my office. I uh, told everybody, just let me know what you want, metaphorically. We'll like, what do you like for lunch and dinner? Because we're gonna, and breakfast, right, even. If that's what it takes. But I do think, um, I don't want any false expectations that just because they sat down and got called, so quote unquote, and I'm using this again jokingly, to the principal's office. I think both are desirous that they needed somebody outside. There has been a federal mediator there to try to find a resolution, and I think there's a desire to do that, and we're going to try to find where points of opportunity exist. Why all right, very good. So uh, what do you think of that? Do you think uh, the fact that Rahm's involved means they're about to have a resolution? Ladies and gentlemen, don't fall for the okey-doke. Okay. <laughs> don't fall for the... Uh, just like Rahm is all outraged about Jesse Smollett. Yeah. Just like Rahm desperately trying to save his image at the last few weeks so people will say something kind about him. <laughs> Before yeah. he goes. Yeah. I'm not going to be like those. I won't say it. Yeah. I'm not going to be like those clowns in City Hall. Okay. Who are crying. Yeah. On, at the, yeah. What, the final day, the final city conference? We're going to miss you. Really? <laughs> when did you get them cut off? I can't believe it. No, yeah. I'm not falling for it. Yeah. Ram is the savior. I don't like what's been going on. It's been two months. Uh -huh. You know, I've missed several concerts yeah. already. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. We were planning what to see at Ravinia. And I, there were one or two concerts, Chicago Symphony concerts, and I'm not sure they still, <laughs> the strike would still be going on yeah. by August. I don't know, right? I'm looking at, man, what are they playing in Cleveland? <laughs> What's the Boston Symphony has? Yeah. What's the New York Philharmonic has? That's bad. That's bad. You know, so something has to be done. Look, you know, the Lyric Opera had a strike. Yes, they did. Earlier this season. Uh, ended in two days. Yeah, I was going to say it was about a week, but you're right. It was no, less it was than a two week. days. Yeah, yeah. It was over like that. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on this time. Every, you know, nobody's helping themselves. The administration's not helping themselves, and neither, uh, neither is the orchestra. So uh, I sure hope 
this strike is settled soon because I have one more concert left this season <laughs> I was scheduled to go to. Yeah. I hope it will still happen. We'll see. But it has lived. And here's the other thing, too. What about all the you know people who go to the concert? I mean, how is this going to affect people's attitudes towards the symphony orchestra? Will they come back? Mm-hmm. That's a big question. Yeah. Will they come back? You know, this is not Paris. This is not Italy where they strike all the time. Yeah. <laughs> They're used to that. Yeah. But scholars on strike, eh, they go on strike every other week. <laughs> that happens all the time. Yeah. But this is Chicago, the city that works. Well, the, the, um, my initial thought when word broke that Ram was getting involved uh, I have to admit, I must confess. It's the okie doke. Uh, yes, I thought, oh, they must be close to settling this deal. Now Rom's coming in uh, to uh, proclaim that he's responsible for something that would have happened even if he never got involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I was unfair there. Maybe uh, he just figures, well, you know, uh, I, 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 I win any way you look at it because if it, if it goes on anyway, regardless, uh, they can't play me because it started right. before me. Um but I, I was very disappointed in him for not getting involved in the first place. I don't know if you follow these things, but the the leader, the people, the board of trustees, include some of Rahm's allies, people who oh, yeah. donated to his campaigns, people. Uh, yeah, they're friendly, his people. His people. So it's like if anybody, uh, you, you know, would be uh, sympathetic or open to listening to Rahm, mm-hmm. uh, it would be the board of trustee members. And if, if anybody would be open uh, to realizing how detrimental it is to the image of Chicago as a world class city, which he's always promoting. You know, tourists should come here. It would be Rams. So I'm. Su- it's a little disappointing this to put it mildly. This orchestras in the world. Yeah. So Listen. seven weeks of a strike, Sergio, yeah. and to get to a strike, you have a year of contentiousness. You know that as well as I do. There's negotiations before you get to the strike. Right. And the other thing too is that, considering well, Bill Wirtz thinks of Rams. Rocky Wirtz. Oh, the son, Rocky Wirtz. The father. Yeah. I'm. I don't. I'm not sure how much of a great feeling Rom had with his people. I'm not sure. Maybe there was a lot of contention, well, according to words, a lot of contention going on mm-hmm. among the business people and Rahm Emanuel. And when I heard about that, I said, well, that sounds right. Nobody likes Rahm. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you know, even the people supposed to like Rahm don't like Rahm. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, uh, people who, uh, let's move on from Rahm for a moment, uh, and let's talk about uh, Joe Biden. Love to get your thoughts on Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, uh, Barack Obama's vice president. For years and years, he was a senator from Delaware. He's now running uh, for president of the United States, running for the Democratic uh, nomination. And immediately, Anita Hill emerges. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole story of Anita Hill uh, at the Clarence Thomas hearings. I uh, just talking about this with Heidi Henry. It's really on my mind uh, today. Uh, how much How much uh, amnesia should America have in regards to Joe Biden? Well, sure. A lot of people sure have amnesia about uh, Bill Clinton. You know? Yeah. You know, and you can make you can make the argument of what he did was even worse. And people still revere him. Yeah. You know? he, oh, the Clintons. Yeah. Right. Uh, funny thing, though. Yeah. You haven't heard Hillary Clinton say too much about the Me Too movement. I wonder why is that? Yeah, because <laughs> why is that, why Sir is that? General? Yeah. You think? Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, number one, everybody's got baggage. Name me a candidate who doesn't have baggage. Look at all those Democratic candidates. 
Now they're bringing up stuff about Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg, mayor of Buttigieg. They're bringing yeah. up stuff about him mm-hmm. from the past. Yeah. Right. Everybody's got baggage. Right. So you. So I. This is a situation where. Okay, how badly do you want to beat Trump? If you really want, if you're really that bad, you really want him out, then you're going to have to, you know, reconcile the the past of what some people have done. Now, with that saying, I'm still not sure Trump can be beaten in 2020. That's me. Why do you say that? Right now, at this point. Why do you say that? At this point, mm-hmm. because uh, number one. Um, I have not yet seen a Democratic candidate who I can think can really capture it. Not yet. It's time. Mm-hmm. You know, politics is a long ball game. Well, are you? We'll see how long. Wait, when you when you talk about, I'm Trump, not going for these flashes in the pan, right? All right, let's put aside the the Democrat, the Democratic candidate, just for a moment. That's a right. separate discussion, and talk in terms of what it is about Trump as a political force mm-hmm. and as a, a, I think, a master manipulator of the media uh, that that you think ha- is working to his advantage. And I I presume part of your okay. equation is the economy as well. So talk let me, about let me t- let me tell you something. I I had a discussion with somebody a year ago. People still talk about the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I told someone, I said, you may not like to hear this, but I think Trump run a better campaign than Hillary. And how could you say that? No, he did. Because he did one thing. Okay, if you're running for office, what is the one thing you must always do? That he did all the time. What's that? You tell people how their lives are going to be better once you're in office. And he did that all the time for white guys. He did it consistently telling white men, if you vote for me, I'm going to ban on the Muslims. I'm going to get rid of all the immigrants. I'm going to put black people in their place. He told that all the time to white people. Uh, you know, I'm going to make your life better once I'm elected. What was Hillary's message? Um, uh, stronger together. Uh, what was her message? Her message is my turn. That's a re- that was a real message. My turn. That's not going to win you. That's not going to win any, any election, right? Oh, and also number two, the other thing. And I've said this before on your show. When, both of them, had, they had high negatives, okay? Mm-hmm. When you have two candidates in which a lot of people don't like them, they stay home. They don't vote, they don't vote for the person who they like the least, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, the, per, the person, I got that wrong, the person who they hate the least, mm-hmm. that's what I meant to say. Yeah. They stay home because they're natural. I'm not voting for anyone. That's with Clinton and, and Trump. A lot of people stayed home because the hell with them. I can't stand either of them. <laughs> they stayed home. They're yeah. not going to vote for Hillary because, well, she's not as bad as Trump. You know, they don't, it doesn't go like mm-hmm. So the Democrats need to find somebody who people really like. <laughs> well, that's the argument for Joe Biden. Uh, and the argument for Joe Biden is that he is a very likable human being. He's Joe, all right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so what um, Democrats are essentially saying that if, if he is the nominee, they want uh, voters to forget everything that went ha- went on in Joe Biden's past mm-hmm. and just concentrate on his likability and the fact that he's so obviously the anti-Trump. 
And that's the that would be the strategy uh, for nominating Joe Biden. Right, because if you're going to go for a purity test, you're not going to find anybody. If you're going to if you're going to find somebody who is absolutely clean, you're not going to find anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when they started three weeks ago, when the media jumped in booted edge. <laughs> it was like this what this guy's perfect are you kidding me he can speak seven languages he plays the piano he's a ever ever uh road scholar a road scholar ever hey, come on come on he came out of a comic book this, <laughs> this guy isn't real you know yeah. and now they're finding stuff about him yeah okay um did you find yourself attracted to him as a candidate at first i was like well this looks interesting but once again it can't go for the flash in the pan yeah can't go for the, we've been People have been do. I have been. Everybody's been fooled by that. The flash in the pan. Yeah. Like, who's the? You know, look the over there. Thing. Look yeah. over here. Yeah. Look over here. Now Swalwell is running. Yeah. I didn't even know Swalwell was in the game. <laughs> yeah, I, I give said, you credit I, for I even knowing who he is. I saw a poster. I, I a little thing, internet thing, and I go like, when Eric did Swalwell get in the get in the race? <laughs> I think he was last week, wasn't he, D? He's been in for a few weeks. Oh, we, we few talked weeks? about him when he, uh, yeah, he's the congressman from California. Yeah. And, and then uh, uh, who else? There is, um, there are several <laughs> women. There's Colchabar, uh, Col- 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 Klobuchar. Klobuchar, the one Amy who, Klob- everybody who works for her hates her. That's not going to work. Um, and then there's the one from Minnesota. Well, that is the one from Minnesota. Klobuchar. Which one's from Minnesota? Yeah, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, that's no, but the one. What, no, the one who took over from um, Al Franken. Uh, no, that uh, that you're thinking of Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, and you're mixing her up with Kirsten Gillibrand, I believe, from New York. I can't believe I'm doing no, this. No, Gillibrand. Little... Gillibrand's from New York. Yes, that is correct. Gillibrand's from New York, Yeah, she's right? a senator running for New York. The one who's Hillary Clinton with less charisma. Yes. If you can imagine <laughs> that. Uh, Views and actions of Sergio Mims do not reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show. You're always welcome on this show, Senator Gillibrand. All right. So in other words, I, I, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I feel as though if there's a candidate who uh, has really not gotten the advantage that she warrants, it is Elizabeth Warren. And let me tell you why. Elizabeth Warren, uh, voters are the always... The one who reminds you of your high school teacher who gave you hell... All right, that one, yeah. Okay, see, there you go. You've taken this woman who's had an incredible career, had great ideas, very specific proposal. Yeah, good job, Sergio. And you just like Sorry. turned her into a caricature. <laughs> Let's dismiss her now. You're like, that's what Donald Trump does, though that's what he does so effectively. It works. Yeah. That's what the Democrats have to do. Get back. Fight back. Don't sit there and act like, oh, he said awful things about me. <laughs> just like AOC. When they attack her, she attacks back. Yeah. What? And now they criticize her. You know? Yeah. Uh, by the way, how right. come nobody talks about Underwood? Lauren She's working. Underwood. Lauren Underwood? Lauren Underwood is working. 14th Congressional District. She's out there working. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I just read today uh, another person has come into the campaign to run against her. We were just talking about this yesterday. What, what is his name, Dave? Do you remember? Notre Dame kicker. Came yeah, he was Notre, Notre Dame. Dame kicker. He's got Lou Holtz. All we can remember are the people who support him. Uh, um, a young feller uh, going to run against her. All of a sudden, he's decided that uh, he's given her, what, two months, three months? Ah, I got to run against her, she's saying. Yeah. Right. Because she's been working. You know, she has been getting the media attention that AOC has been getting. 
Well, there's there are two. I mean, just let's pause to think about the difference and what it means for the Democrats. Uh, AOC ran, uh, defeated uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, was victorious in a, a very urban district in New York City, uh, Queens and Bronx area against an entrenched incumbent, Joe Crowley. And um, she was uh, had the luxury of running far to the left because mm-hmm. that's where that district is. Right. Uh, Lauren Underwood is running in suburban Chicago and Naperville. Uh, yeah, Naperville area. It's a purplish district. It's it, you know, uh, extreme Ben Jarofsky, Sergio Mims types rhetoric would not go over well with voters. She has to be more mainstream, and mm-hmm. uh, she can't say I'm for Medicare for all. And she more she has to say in sort of generalities more health care for all because there's you know uh, you could uh, lose some swing voters and they're running against her Sergio uh, the kicker from Notre Dame whose name I can't remember at the time at the moment is running against her by saying she is Alexander Ocasio Ocasio Cortez trying to put uh, it's very a dishonest campaign. Lauren Underwood is nothing like AOC in temperament or political views or et cetera and so forth. But that's what they're going to do against Yeah, the her. fear factor. The fear, you know, works. When you get nothing left, you go for fear. Can I address reparations for, for a while? Go ahead, because I mentioned that earlier. Now, Miles is sitting right here, mm-hmm. and I'd like to hear what he thinks. But let me. this is what I think, Okay. I got huge problems with reparations. Here's the problem. Number one, who's going to pay for it? You think the American public, all these white people, are going to agree <laughs> to pay black people money? No. Number two, who exactly is going to get it? Descendants of Amer- uh, Afri- uh, um, African-American slaves. Yeah. Well, what about black people who aren't, who live here? What about me? Half of my family descended of American slaves. Half the other half of my family descended of Spanish slaves. Do that mean I get half of what everybody else is going to get? What about people who are biracial? They get half. I mean, what? How is this going to be split, right? And yeah. who's going to decide who gets it and who doesn't? Believe me, if I don't get my full check, I'm going to raise. <laughs> I'm going to. Raise hell. So right? get a lawyer. All right. Well, let me let me read you. The and, quote. That's again lawsuits. Yeah. Okay. No, this reminds you me. You know about the whole ADOS movement, I, right? I, I got wait. I have to tell you, this reminds me of the arguments I would have back in the nineties um, when uh, it was in the early years of Richard uh, M. Daly's administration, and um, every four years. Black political activists would convene, uh, and there would be these meetings, and they would elect or select somebody to represent them to run against Richard M. Daley. But it was only for black people. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I would have trouble with that because, first of all, you cannot, you need some white people to get elected, okay? I know, I know <laughs> we're not allowed in the room when this decision goes down. That's warrior, but you need, a, we're just supposed to wait for our marching orders and then. The, so, but then we get these arguments. Well, who is black that gets to vote? You know what I'm saying? Like you said, is yeah. it, if it's Sergio is half Spanish and half black, do you get to vote? Uh, so I hear your point there on that. But I do believe I mean, in the look, concept but, of reparations. Come on, Sergio. Come on. There has to be reparations. Okay, somehow. but then, but how are they going to be paid? I don't know. Okay, that, for the, example, the logistics. For example, out, okay, yeah. here's another thing. And Chris Rock once addressed this in the show. Uh, okay, so say it's a check. All right? Let's just say, (laughs) what's going to happen? They're going to spend it. Where are you going to spend it? You're going to spend it giving it back to the white man. How is that going to work? 
All right. The Buick. If I was the head of Buick, I would want reparations too. Now, here's the thing. What about? There has to be something that really would benefit black people as a whole. Black people as a whole. Not just give the money and the money goes out. You know, we get it, it goes out. How's that going to help? We get it, it goes out. All right. So you heard me read this quote to Heidi Henry earlier. It was Uh from a, a. uh, an interesting column by uh, Darlene Glanton in today's Tribune. Did you read the column by any chance? No. Uh, but uh, you heard me read the quote. I'll read the quote again. And she's talking about, essentially, she's uh, uh, admonishing Democrats to be practical uh, as we head into... I read a similar article. Uh, there are many articles like this, this but right. she really crystallized this, this point of view. Uh, and she writes, who doesn't like the idea of free college tuition, having their college loans dismissed, reparations for descendants of slaves, and Medicare for all? Uh, it all sounds great, but informed and realistic voters know that such things cost money and that they could never see the light of day without bipartisan support in Congress. Those aren't the types of things Democrats should be focusing on this time around. They must have one goal in mind, stopping Trump from winning a second term. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's an article of fear. What, the, what they're saying is that we could lose again. We got to get together and come around a common candidate or else Trump is going to win again. That's what it comes down to. That's what that article is all about. They're scared that he could win. As I said before, I'm not 100% sure he's going to lose in 2020. You know my theory. I don't think he's going to be around by 2020. It's not because of an impeachment. Oh, my goodness. All right, let's not go there with that right. one. Uh, if you've Let me just say that he's in the worst shape of any president Yeah, you've been said that. I think you said this the last time you were right. showing. Sergio Mims, co-founder of Black Harvest Film Festival. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm going to ask him his thoughts on what's going on with Ebony, something oh, uh, yeah. he knows a lot about. We'll I be do. right back. Okay. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us to the weekend. All right, that super cool music means the end of another super cool show. But we have a little time left. That, by the way, is Sergio Mims playing the piano. Man, he sounds good. Black Harvest Film Festival, disc jockey. Got a lot of opinions on reparations. By the way, send your cards to uh, Sergio. The views expressed by Sergio Mims are those of Sergio Mims uh, on reparations. And uh, so, Sergio, uh, before you go, uh, this is something that I know you care great, uh, greatly about. Uh, Ebony Magazine, for years and years, uh, based here in the city of Chicago, um, and uh, they went bankrupt. Or, uh, but there's the issue of 
there are tremendous archives of photographs. Right. There's an article in the Tribune about this today. It's just incredible portal into uh, history uh, for the 20th century. And uh, apparently it seems like George Lucas may be... Uh, end up with that uh, with those archives. Talk about this a little bit. Uh, first of all, I did write to them for several years. Um, for Ebony. For Ebony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also over the website. Um, do maybe its last golden period for a few years. Uh, it was inevitable. The magazine just not could keep up with the times. No matter how many people at the company tried to move the company that way, you had executives, executives and a leadership that just wouldn't budge. Um, the 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 photography exhibit, uh, not the exhibit, but the collection has been on sale for some time. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry they had to do that. Um, and also, I think it's they terribly undervalued it as well. Uh, I'm just glad somebody's going to save it. If it's George Lucas, uh, I was hoping maybe a black historical uh, black historic college would get it, like Howard University or Hampton mm-hmm. or, um, you know, would get it. Uh, or Morehouse or Spellman, you know, we get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that at least there was an attempt by George Lucas, I'm sure with Melody Hobson, Hobson. Mm-hmm. behind his that, wife. Uh, his wife, mm-hmm. um, I'm just happy about that. At least it'll be saved because that's that is the history. You can argue the history of Black America, the 20th century, and if that goes or disappears or gets farmed out to collectors to disappear in the ether, it'll be a real tragedy. So I hope that uh, it's the least he can do, since he won't be getting his museum here. All right, uh, and that 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 is a good point. Uh, I don't know if folks remember this, but George Lucas and Melody Hobson uh, were proposing to have that Lucas Museum on the lakefront, a lawsuit by the Friends of the Park. Uh, eventually sent them uh, scurrying away from Chicago, and they're settled in Los Angeles. I believe that's where the museum will be built. Is Los Angeles San Francisco? I right? think, no, it started in San Francisco. They, were, they oh, originally in San Francisco. Los then they left San Francisco, came to Chicago with the proposal, and then they, I believe they ended in L.A. Los yeah. Angeles. And uh, so, you know, now I'm thinking, wow, that would be, if, if he does secure rights to these photos, this incredible uh, treasure trove of pictures that goes back to like the early part of the 20th century, uh, including celebrities and just ordinary black people and um, political figures, etc. If he does uh, get access to that, that would be a great addition to his museum. I didn't know what was going to be in the museum in the first place, but, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, mu- a museum dedicated to the photographs of the 20th century in terms of black history. I think it would be worth attending, don't you agree? Well, you know, be honest, um, it would be really nice. He could build a separate museum just for that. Uh-oh. Sergio's reviving the notion of that museum on the lake. <laughs> no, and I, I know the perfect place for it. Where's that? Where it should have been in Michael Reese. Yes. The old area is just sitting there. It's sitting there. We own it. It's owned by the taxpayers of the city of Chicago. $95 million a year? Uh, no, no. It costs $95 million. We're paying oh. interest on it, but I believe the, pri- uh, price, the total, price was $95 million. Yeah, that was uh, the uh, the city of Chicago under Mayor Rahm uh, with Tony Perkwinkle's support. She was the alderman at the time. Excuse me, Mayor Daly, uh, when they were uh, trying to woo the Olympics to Chicago 
purchased the old Michael Reese Hospital on roughly 35th and the Lake uh, with the idea that it would be turned into a, uh, a housing center for all the Olympians. Uh, Olympic Village it was going to be. And, of course, we didn't get the Olympics. Nothing is on the land, uh, but the taxpayers of the city of Chicago own it, and it doesn't produce any property taxes, etc. So if it was Mayor Sergio Mims, uh, that's where the museum would go. Uh, before we let you go, i got to get your thoughts on Mayor... Uh, elect Lori Lightfoot. Are you excited about that prospect? Um, well, she can't be worse than the eight last eight years. <laughs> Let's hope. We shall see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am hopeful. I am optimistic. Um, I was a supporter of hers, you know, um, and um, I just wish her the best and hope that, uh, you know, four years from now when she's running for re-election, we do see some improvements and a brighter future. Well, you know, I don't know if Mayor Rahm ever went to the Black Harvest Film Festival, but maybe... Um, no, but Dan Axelrod once showed up. David Axelrod showed da- up the once? David Axelrod yeah. once came. Uh, for what movie? Do you remember? The film we showed about Father Flager. Oh, okay. He showed up for that one. Yeah. Did Father Flager show up as well? Oh, believe yeah. me, he was there. <laughs> Both screenings. All right, that is Sergio Mims. My guest is Sergio Mims. One more time, co-founder of Black Harvest Film Festival. Uh, what are the dates again? August 3rd to the 29th. All right, very good. And the schedule will be coming out the next time he's on. I guarantee you. Schedule will be out in June. All right, good. Then the next time you're on, we'll be able to have a little more specifics about the show. So, Sergio, thank you very much for coming on. I also want to thank Heidi Henry, who was my guest at 2 o'clock hour. Uh, Ramana Hussein was uh, our first guest, the Ramana Rundown. Those T-shirts are coming any day now, right, D? T-shirts. Hopefully. Hopefully. Come on! Uh, Sometimes. Miles, the editor, did a great job, as he always did. I know he has a big weekend ahead for that uh, Roosevelt uh, University. What's the record now, Miles? Oh, it's 10 and 20. You guys have been winning lately. All right. It's 10 always, and 20? No, 10 and 24. Oh, okay. All right. They were 6 and 20 the last time. So they've actually been winning some games. Yeah. Lately. All right, cool. That's good news to hear. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend that makes it all possible, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and mind. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. That would be Dr. D, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you Tuesday. All right, live streamers, you know that we download. you can download this program, right? Yes, you can. Just give me until about, uh, I don't know, 4 o'clock, maybe a little later today. i got to do some technical issues here, but it will be available for download. And downloaders, hey, we live stream the program. That's right, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. And typically we go over to so maybe like 3.15, 3.20. It's a fantastic time. And now... Oh, this is awesome. We are video live streaming. Whoa, check it out. Pretty cool. We'll see you on Tuesday.